the curse of the devil. Exorcism, a sacrifice. Blessing or bestiality. The curse of the devil. Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find it. Hello and welcome to the Nashy Cast. I am your master of mayhem, Rod Barnett, <laughs> and I'm your Sultan of SWAT, Troy Gwynn. I don't even know what that means, but I think uh, it's a <laughs> baseball. I think it's what used to go. I know. Either that or cricket. I can, never, <laughs> I can never keep those two sports straight. <laughs> welcome to Nashy Cast number forty-eight, where we dive into uh, well, uh, this one is a docudrama. Really, that's the best way to put this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you are there. You are there, crime. Yeah, crime yeah, yeah. This is uh, one of those rare films. Uh, they don't make a lot of docudramas anymore, at least uh, not that I'm aware of it. They do. I think they kind of make them. They're kind of cable movies. Yeah. Uh, but what they what uh, what a docudrama is is a it's a it's a film that's kind of a dramatization of uh, historical events, usually pretty close to the time in which the events were done. Uh, good examples would be like. Uh, um, all the President's Men, mm-hmm. yeah, something like that, yeah. um, and that's really from the same time period. So that's that's a that's a good analogy mm-hmm. to make. Mm-hmm. Some somewhat some might even stretch and say something like uh, Apollo thirteen was kind of a docudrama, and I guess in a way it was. Uh, Tora 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 that yeah, was yeah. that's kind of a docudrama, although it's also kind of, it's also a war film, mm-hmm. stuff like that. A Night to Remember, which is a, a mm-hmm. kind of an attempt to do a, a minute by minute take take of the uh, Titanic, the Titanic yeah. sinking, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But uh, so tonight's film is a docudrama in that vein called Commando Shikia. Hey, we did it. We did it right. Yeah, Commando yeah, yeah. Shikia. That's because I watched the film twice and I've heard yeah. him say it several times. And I just finally wrote down the, yeah. you the would phonetic never, pronunciation. Yeah, you would never know from looking at the actual word that it's Shikia. But no, that's no, no. It is. But, uh, uh, well, it yeah. turns out, luckily, the film uh, and the voiceover narrative of the film, it gives us a clue as to why... This uh, had that why this squad of uh, Edda members had this name, and it's a reference to uh, an Edda member who died. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it's it's actually his, I believe it's his last name, and so they they mm-hmm. took that as kind of a badge of, of mm-hmm. honor, kind of honoring the uh, yeah. the fallen Etta soldier, the terrorist yeah. in mm-hmm. there, the, the terrorist who died. The so, uh, subtitle is Death of a President, I believe. Death of a President, which kind of gives away the end of the film. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is probably an episode we're not going to worry too much about spoilers, because if you're no, going into it, you, you know, because you, you sort of, this film really sort of tells you where it's heading from the very first. Yeah, from uh, the opening minutes. Yeah. And that, and that's okay. Being sure. a docudrama, the idea well, is that you kind of already know the end of the story, or at least you know the broad strokes of the story. And this is to give you the detail work. This is to tell yeah. you the the story within the story, the the the, the, the things that led up mm. to the thing that you nef- you definitely know about already. And the trick with making a docudrama is to pull you in, com- make it compelling, make it suspenseful. And even when the viewer knows what ultimately happens, I mean, right. you, you mentioned a perfect example, All the President's Men. I love that film, and it's an incredibly dramatic and, and you know, and, and, and manages to, to make, even though you know ultimately what happened, it, it, it manages to just be 
totally enthralling watching that movie, even when you know what the ultimate outcome is, just to oh, see yeah. how it happened. How well, to it's see, just a, like, it's, it's, it's such a well crafted movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, even though the events that uh, I mean, you may be incredibly well versed in the events told in the film. It's still exciting to watch yeah. because it, the the story itself is inherently interesting, mm-hmm. and so that's generally the feature mm-hmm. of a docudrama is that the events are inherently interesting to yeah. begin with, mm-hmm. and that's the reason the film gets made to begin with because yeah. people are interested in the subject matter and they want to know well wait a minute how did this mm-hmm. come about so mm-hmm. Helter Skelter is another great example Helter Skelter is an well excellent done, example very well right. done uh, docudrama exactly exactly well. Uh, before we dive into the film, I thought we would touch on a few things that have been going on. Like, uh, well, let's see. Uh, have we been doing seeing or acting through anything that uh, we find of interest lately? What have you been doing lately? What have I been doing lately? Um, well, hold on, I have hold still on. been. Go ahead. If, you, if, if, you, if you're going to delay around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I should have come over. I'll step in. I'll should've step come, in. Oh, I know you will. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, with me, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, it's football season. So, you know, but nobody's interested in that on National Cast. So we're not going to talk about that. But obviously, <laughs> with me, it's just the fall excitement of football. And then, of course, now Halloween's coming. I know everybody's excited about that. Of course. But, um, no, uh, I'm still, I haven't mentioned this in a long time. Just let everybody know. I, I think probably two years ago, I mentioned that I had gotten that, my brother had got me that, uh, the uh, great uh, uh, Bill Warren book, the Keep Watching the Skies, the expanded yeah. edition, you know, which is like a thousand pages and, and purports to, attempts to anyway, cover every single science fiction film of the 50s and spills over a little bit into the early 60s, kind of what he considers the era, you know, that would where you know, even as you spilled over in the early 60s, you sort of had the tail end of some films that still kind of fit snugly yeah. in that. So I, 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 told, I, I think I mentioned that I was actually going to endeavor to watch all of the films that are mentioned in the book and I'm still on that cool. mission. Well, what have you uh, seen lately? What have you uh, seen? So I'm in I'm into 1953. I've made it as far as now. So I've watched all. Oh, of you're them. going chronologically. Uh, chronologically, yes, Holy I am. Shit. Okay. Yeah, and so far there's only been one film of the first four years that I've not been able to find because, uh, it, and it's been I've had some some of the films I've had to hunt down in some really strange, you know, through the special antenna, through YouTube, through you know all sorts <laughs> yeah. of. Uh, I've gotten help in finding some of them, but uh, but I uh, managed to. Uh, um, Right now, I can't. Unfortunately, I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to look again at with the one film that I cannot find. I think it was maybe some sort of. Uh, it's like a Russian film or something that I, okay. I, that I was not able to hunt down. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's been a it's it's been a very interesting little journey because I don't watch them. Obviously, I'll watch one film and then I'll right. go some, you know, off to other things and you know. So I'm not trying to plow through these and this this may take me the rest of my life to get through all these. But uh, just uh, recently, I watched uh, well. As of uh, well, recently as yesterday, I watched one called The Maze, uh, which uh, uh, had uh, um, Richard Carlson in it. I think I saw that one years ago on AMC, back when AMC showed movies. Mm. Yeah, it's a William Cameron Menzies film based yeah. on a Scottish novel about a Scottish lord that nobody ever sees that keeps himself reclusive in a castle. And there's a reason why, because he's not exactly human. We'll put it that way. Um, I do remember this. Do you remember one? that? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I'm, you know, saw that now. Next, I'm going to be watching the uh, next couple ones up are going to be ones I've obviously seen before. Abbott Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, followed by War of the Worlds. So it's been an interesting mixed bag. From the I've seen some real classics already, like The Thing. and I mean, films I've seen before, obviously, but I am kind of just watching them all chronologically. And the way they came out is really fun to see how the, 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 the decade developed you know, and progressed. And you realize that some of the greatest films actually occurred as, you know, they were all scattered throughout the decade, you know, they were as early as, you know, 50 and 51, there were already some of the oh, ones yeah. that are considered, I mean, they like, are still, exactly, yeah. you are considered some of the greats, 
And, uh, and, and, you know, of course, uh, oh boy, have I had to slog through some dreck too, you know, but that's been part of the fun of it. There's, just, some, you know, yeah. there's some crap I've seen. For instance, uh, when you get to the magnetic monster, uh, stock, stock, stock up some caffeine, brother. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've seen people, I've seen some people actually praising magnetic monster, but when I finally saw it, uh, I guess it was about a year or so now, ago. Now, is that the one where the, where you don't, where the alien's invisible? Is that the, or is uh, as I remember, different? yeah, that was one of the budgetary, yeah, <laughs> very obvious budgetary around, uh, constraints yeah. that were, yeah, that was, that was the workaround yeah. they came up with, but it's, it's not just that, it's just fucking boring. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it bored the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like I say, every, every every film is 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 praised by somebody, and I've just recently seen somebody praising magnetic monsters, and I'm going, Jesus, are we talking about the same movie? Are you sure you didn't mean monolith monsters? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, just, I really wanted to ask, but uh, yeah. Anyway. But I've had some, you know, and and then another thing that's fun, of course, Bill Warren kind of fits everything that has any kind of science fiction element at all. In there, you know, so even the Crimson Pirate was in there, and you know, just because of the guy in there that has the character who's who has developed sort of a modern a type of uh, I forget what it was at this point, like a, a type of uh, was it a submarine? I can't remember. It's, it's either a submarine or some type. Yeah, Crimson it's it's Pirate. been it's been now. That was one of the ones I watched earlier on, but it was one. By, by, was... by the way, for the for the listener uh-huh. who who does not who is unaware of what the Crimson Pirate is, it's a Burt, it's a very yeah. early Burt Lancaster film. Uh, that uh, is a whole lot of fun. It not, is it's very not, entertaining. It's, it's not. It's not serious in any way, shape, no, or form. No, no, it's very it's much totally, a comedy yeah, and very yeah. much not to be taken seriously. Lots of uh, mm-hmm. incredible acrobatic stuff from from Lancaster, who was, by the way, a circus performer mm-hmm. for years. Yeah. Uh, and he shows off his physical prowess, and it co-stars his uh, his. Uh, acrobatic buddy who is kind of his sidekick in the movie crimson pirates a lot of it fun is. It is. but i would never call it a science fiction movie no no years. it's so like i said it's there's an element to it that is very i mean it's really stretching to put it in there but again i it the fact that it got me to watch the film and i enjoyed the film so i was you know it's like well this is a lot of fun i probably wouldn't have gotten i don't know how long it'd been before i'd get around to seeing this otherwise yeah and so film. yeah so so that's been fun to do that and, and i also uh, watched a film last night this was the, on another something else I watched recently is a uh, take a hard ride, uh, oh, yeah. which I'd never seen before. Good and, film, yeah, good film, and also uh, Antonio Margariti. Yes, uh, and uh, the one of the characters who plays a bandit leader in there is actually um, the guy that uh, we've seen in several Nashi films. Uh, I know he was in the People Who in the Dark. He played the doctor who kind of goes nuts and starts crawling around. You, oh, you know yeah, that guy, the big yeah, yeah, heavy set yeah. guy yeah. that's been in several Nashi films. I forgot. You're right. Yeah, it was great to see him uh, in the film. That was that was kind of a nice surprise because he played uh, yeah played the leader of a bandit gang in there. So, so quite a good film. Quite, quite a good film. Any any film that stars both uh, Jim Brown and Lee Van Cleef oh my is gosh, worth yeah, your time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's also uh, another Italian collection had a uh, uh, Barry Sullivan from Planet of the Vampires. You know, was in it. Oh, I forgot like he was in that. Play, he's yeah, the, he he's like the the, older, the rich elder guy who's well. The, that was Dana Andrews. Who, oh no, that's who, Dana Andrews. Who actually, he was the he was the elder, the sheriff of oh the town, God. who who the sheriff of the town okay. who actually who also kind of goes outside the law to try and get this money that Jim Brown has that everybody's trying to get. <laughs> uh, but uh, and I didn't even recognize. I mean, I, I didn't because Dane Andrews obviously doesn't have too many scenes in the film. He's just there at the first of the film. As you're right, he's the older businessman who gives his uh, okay. who wills his as he's dying gives his money to James to Jim Brown to to get down to the Mexican town there before I everybody forgot gets Dane Andrews was in it. But you're right, yeah. he's just the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so uh, what about you? What you've been? What you've been? Combination of things. Um, let's see. Although I've seen a lot of people bitching, moaning, and crying about it. 
I caught up with uh, the most recent Hammer production called The Quiet Ones, mm. uh, which just came out this year, okay. and uh, really, really liked it. It tries to be a uh, it tries to be um, a very straightforward and documentary like look at uh, a real case. Of course, it's quite fictionalized, and that's fine. I love I love it when a film takes that tack. Yeah, because it's fiction. Yeah. We don't care. It's right. fine. And I really enjoyed it. It's called The Quiet Ones. Uh, uh, strong cast. Uh, uh, re- really strong performance from Jared Harris, hmm. uh, who people might know from uh, Mad Men and half a yeah. hundred other yeah, films. Sure. He was uh, yeah. Professor Moriarty in the in the Sherlock Holmes Game of Game of Shadows. Yeah, and uh, it's quite good. I've heard a lot of people bitching online. Ooh, it was dull. It was stupid. Uh, you saw another movie. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I finally watched uh, the Crater Lake Monster. From uh, 1977, the little, the little low budget, oh, independently yes, produced yes, the monster like, movie. Wow, yeah, yeah. Never had seen it before. I was able to get it on uh, Blu-ray for like three bucks. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, and even yeah, though it was yeah. paired with Galaxina, one of the worst Galaxina, attempts at humor wow. in the history of time, <laughs> uh, I picked it up because hey, what the hell? Apparently, mm-hmm. Monster, I kind of enjoyed it. Ain't it? Ain't good. Mm-hmm. But it ain't bad. I mean, it's not terrible. And it's kind of, I mean, the acting's atrocious throughout mm-hmm. it. Don't get me wrong. The acting's mm-hmm. miserable. Mm-hmm. But the film's got a charm to it that really kind of, I don't know, there's just something about a movie that tries that hard. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they really are striving. They're trying to make a good film. And yeah. they don't they don't really succeed all the time, but their heart's in the right place. Yeah. They really enjoyed it. Cool. So, cool. Uh, also saw the most recent, or one of the most recent, uh, DC animated things, uh, Son of Batman, which just came out recently. Yeah, I was reading about that. So was Very that good. Really good? Uh, cool. yet, yet another in the long line of DC animated films, which, uh, I mean, they have been, I mean, they've just been fantastic. I mean, they really have been amazing. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I really liked the Dark Knight adaptation. The oh, yeah. Dark Knight I couldn't believe they did re- it I know. as harshly Boy, they did. as they the did original very comic. Close. Yeah. yeah. Very good stuff. Uh, finally saw, uh, I kind of thought that I might go on a, a kind of mini uh, 70s disaster movie spree, mm-hmm. but I've only watched one so far this month, and that was Earthquake. I saw the I saw Earthquake from oh, 1974. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlton Heston and a cast of billions. Yeah. Uh, Jean-Vierre Bujols in it. She's quite good. Very, very young in the film. Uh, it's packed, packed with typical 70s disaster <laughs> movie melodrama. Oh, I mean, yeah. it, the, oh, the melodrama the, is yeah. caked. Uh-huh. It's like if, if you were to cut into the cake that is Earthquake, <laughs> yeah. there would be seven layers of uh-huh. melodrama and then you would bite into it and realize, oh, fuck, the icing's melodrama too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it's re- it really is great disaster porn. I mean, it's mm-hmm. really a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was really impressed also that they had the balls to have a really downbeat ending, which yeah. was pretty mm-hmm. impressive. These days you have a disaster film and it's got to have an upbeat ending because people are tards now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry to use that word, but I'm I'm sorry if it's a, a disaster movie yeah. and a whole fuck ton of people that you care about don't die, it's not really a disaster movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's really true. not. If a lot of yeah. people you don't know mm-hmm. die, mm-hmm. that's just disaster porn for disaster porn's sake. Yeah. If you are yeah. if if there are no stakes involved, if you don't actually give a shit about any of the characters that mm-hmm. die, it's a waste of time. Now let me ask you this: Do you think that you will ever? Uh, do you think that you will ever string all the airport films together in one big? Uh... You know, I've thought about it yeah. because uh, I have only ever seen, and that was that was coming in and out of the room. I only ever saw one of them as an adult. Now, mm. as a kid, they weren't on television. They were always on the movie of the week, yeah, television. Yeah, 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 that kind of thing. And I think that one day I may very well do a, an adult-conscious watch of like the whole run of them. I think there mm. were four or five, weren't there? Something Airport, like it was like... 
Like the last one was, the first was the last the, one was a '79 Concord. The, right? Did it goes with the Concord? They never so. did. They, that's as far as they went, right? I with think. the Concord. I think you're right. They didn't do a shuttle one, did they? Like I almost felt no, like they did a space no, shuttle. Not that Maybe I'm, I'm confusing it with Moonraker. <laughs> but uh, well, there's a disaster. <laughs> yes, I know. So no, I think it was Airport '75, '77. And then 79, maybe there was just a three, but I felt like there was more than that. Maybe I felt like there was at least four, know. but I don't know. I, really I have to don't. check that I, out. I know Christopher Lee was in the, he was in the, he was in the one where the plane in the crashes ocean, where it's in the ocean, under, underwater. Yeah. Maybe that's 77 where it's in the ocean. See, that's yeah. the one that I've come in and out on. <laughs> it's like, it's but like, I haven't, like yeah. I say, I know because you're, you're, like, you're like, didn't I see this with the Poseidon Adventure already? You know, well, like, see, that's the just plane's it. not I've upside seen, down. I've seen the Poseidon Adventure. Oh yeah. Oh, hey. But here's the thing. I've never sat down and watched like the, uh, the Towering Inferno all the way through, mm-hmm. or any any. There's um, God. There's one other biggie that I I definitely haven't seen. But I was I was excited to see Earthquake because it was just it mm-hmm. was fun. Uh, I also uh, finally caught up with Seven Psychopaths, the second film by the man who made In Bruges. Oh, and, uh, okay. Yeah, I loved In Bruges. Well, yeah. it's not up to the levels of In Bruges. In Bruges mm-hmm. was mind bendingly yeah, great. So good, it was just yeah. a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. But Seven Psychopaths is quite good too. Cool. So I really enjoyed that. And uh, other than that, I've been watching. <laughs> I couldn't stop myself. I watched about, over the course of about a week, I watched about four, I rewatched several episodes of uh, the British the British uh, science fiction series, Blake's Seven. I, uh, I sometimes just get the urge and I can't stop myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was watching, I watched three or four episodes of it from the first season. And I love it. If you've never heard of Blake's Seven, I think we may have actually, I may have, I may have babbled about I it. I know we're talking because I still have not gotten a chance to see them, and I know that they're supposed to be really good. You always well, talked about how good they are. They are really good. The, the show was produced between 1978 and 1981, and it's a BBC production, so we're not exactly talking you know stellar mm-hmm. production values here. But it is, uh, it is a really well written series. Uh, it lasted for four seasons. Each each season was thirteen episodes. And it's uh, it's basically kind of uh, picture it as the serious response to Doctor Who because Doctor Who's always been a kids show, mm-hmm. and uh, Blake Seven was Terry Nation, the creator of the Daleks. It was his kind of idea of well, here's an adult science fiction series, uh, uh, and and it's and it's very well done. It's extremely well written. The mm-hmm. characters are uh, the characters are the reason you come back again and again and again above and beyond following the uh, the overarching story. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it looks like what it is, which is you know cheaply produced science mm-hmm. fiction on sets that weren't always particularly fantastic, with special effects that weren't always great. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing is, but what keeps you coming back is you know the the qualities that they could invest time and money into, which is the writing and the and the and the, and the uh, characters. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, the show that I truly really love. And uh, if I had all the time in the world, I would probably just sit and go through the entire series from edge to edge again. I mean, it's you know. Mm-hmm. 13 times 4 it's not going to take not going to take that long, long to get through yeah <laughs> but uh so that's that's what I've been up to lately nothing uh nothing earth shattering but uh very fun cool so. cool but I guess we've babbled on long enough about what we've been doing so I guess uh, what we'll do is we'll um take a break here in just a second and come back and start and dive into this month's film uh, first up, remember you can contact us at nashucast at gmail.com join us over on the Facebook page uh, lots of people have. Yeah, yeah. And that is always fun. That's great. We could go ahead and mention that uh, this being the uh, the month in which Signor Nashi was born. Yeah, yeah, he would have been 80 this, this month. He would have been 80. Yeah, he would have. Um, Spanish Fear, the uh, the new website Spanish Fear, is having a month-long Paul Nashi uh, kind of tribute 
Yeah. And if you haven't been over to SpanishFear.com, let us recommend that you go over there and check that out. There may be a little bit more information about that later in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you want to go ahead and talk about Well, I'm just going to say now that, yeah, yeah uh, well, Elena just uh, had sent us a personal message to remind us that uh, about that it was Paul Nash's 80th birthday this September. And she mentions that on SpanishFear.com, uh, she says, we've decided to play tribute to the master of Spanish horror this month. Many fans are taking part of this tribute by sending their articles, photo collages, uh, drawings, MP3s. So she says, remember that if you send your materials, apart from receiving an exclusive Paul Nashi postcard, uh, courtesy of Creepy Images, uh, she says you will also be entered to win a copy of Muchos Gracias, Senor Lobo, which is the amazingly, mind-bendingly beautiful uh, book oh, yeah. on Paul Nashi. They are doing a giveaway. She says you have until... Uh, well, we'll put this on the website because you have until the fifteenth of September, which uh, you know this episode probably won't be out by the. So Actually, uh, we'll uh, put that up on our. It may, it may, uh, it may be, be but we'll I'll put it up on the website too, just to remind people that yeah. you need to uh, get in your uh, contributions if you want to be already, entered in uh, the draw. If you want to be entered in that, yeah, you already mentioned. I, I, think I we'll mentioned put it. On it. Our I already put it up there. I'll, as a matter of fact, what I'll do is I'll put it up again and try to draw attention to the contest. And yeah. From there, so. Okay. So anyway, yeah. Thank you, Elena. So yeah, please go to SpanishFear.com and. Send your uh, send your Paul Nashy memories there. Uh, always, uh, it's always a bitter bittersweet time of year when we is. start getting into the anniversary of his uh, of his birth and his death. Yeah, and of course, no, you know the the the, the death date's coming up. Yeah, so uh, yeah. we do this uh, we do this podcast out of out of love of his work, and it is it's one of those things where we've talked about before. We talked about just last month how exciting it was we had so many preconceived notions coming into this podcast about mm-hmm. what we were going to discover as mm-hmm. we started marching through his films yeah. and really studying them and to have those expectations uh, and those notions kind mm-hmm. of uh, blown up and tossed mm-hmm. around and um, mm-hmm. uh, honestly to be to be so contradicted by the facts in front of us uh it's it's been it's been wonderful it's been an incredible journey and it's something that i'm really i'm still really enjoying finding mm-hmm. out more and more and studying more and more about what this man did on film he's uh he's an icon always will be and yes. it's something to celebrate this time of the year every year very definitely well folks what we'll do is we'll take a quick break now come back and dive into our discussion of commando shikia Huh, I'm glad you didn't. He points to me. So he puts yeah, me on the I spot. Knew I, was, yeah. I knew I was going to mispronounce it. Let's just go. We, well, we, you we, should, though, because I'm the one that last episode was calling it cheeky and messing it up. And so I put us <laughs> in a bad spot. So I'm the one that should have to, hey, that's right. to do the that's penance. Right. So cheeky. I'm, 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 I'm going to draw attention to you messing up now. So there. <laughs> but it's a proper name. I mean, come on. Yeah. Back in a moment, folks. Are you tired of the same old pop culture podcast? Do you listen to those other podcasts and think to yourself, why don't they talk about the things I'm interested in? Hi, I'm Reverend Scott, and when I want to listen to a couple of guys with their appendages on the pulse of pop culture, penis, I listen to the Are You Serious podcast. Hear news about politics and religion where hosts Chris and Frank ask the tough questions. If you woke up with a cock in your mouth, would you take it or leave it? Yeah, exactly. How big is the cock? (laughs) You'll hear entertainment news about your favorite movies and TV shows, plus plain old wholesome discussion about the lives of Chris and Frank. So, I mean, now I am like tattooed. It's weird. It's like I've, I guess I should explain what I got. Yeah. It's three swastikas. Each one interconnected <laughs> to look like a smiley face. And on my left arm is cock and balls. And you notice I looked at my right Character arm. Character from an old that. Disney film. It's the prequel to Song of the South. Exactly. No, I have, it's um, called Song of the Cock and Balls. <laughs> it sounds like this. So when you think pop culture podcast, remember this. What's that thing between the dick and the asshole? The Are You Serious Podcast on iTunes or areyouseriouspodcast.com.
All right, Commander, uh, Commander, Come Commando, <laughs> Shakia, Death of a President, 1977. Once again, folks, this is a film that never had an English dialogue track, and there's no uh, English dub. So what we're working with here is, thank you, whoever Turtis is, a fan-subbed copy of this film. And uh, mm -hmm. just, just glad that, luckily, the special antenna does provide. Mm -hmm. This is the situation, folks. What we have here is a film that was made uh, that probably was never even going to be shopped around. I'd say this would have been a hard sell in the United yeah. States. Yeah. Yeah. Be I, hard to fit this on the drive-in circuit in America. I think, I can, so. Yeah, I can't imagine that, that anybody would have even tried. This is. Uh, they could have said something about you know five soul brothers sticking it to the man or something, you know, and then maybe tried to sell it yeah, but that I don't way. Know that but I don't Basque, I think it, Basque, Basque, no, Basque aren't would quite, be really no, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Your Basque separatists aren't really going to be an easy sell as no. soul brothers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this was going into watching this film. We sort of knew ahead of time we're going to be dealing with a film that there's... We're going to be things on a certain level that we wouldn't relate to. No matter how much we could read or research right. about it, there'd be... Um, I, I, and I can say right now, it didn't end up being as big an issue, I think, as maybe I was afraid of. First of all, so. I don't know that you necessarily have to have... Uh, too much, uh, a huge amount of background information on this no, film. I'm, I don't think you do either, and I think that uh, one of the things that helps a lot, uh, as a matter of fact, I think it may help too much, we'll discuss that as we go along, mm -hmm. is that the film is a docudrama, so it employs a lot of voiceover to kind of give you, to, to kind of, uh, give you information in a, in, a, in a slightly more condensed fashion mm -hmm. to get <laughs> you over spots where they have to, because uh, this film essentially takes place over the course of an entire year. So what they're having to do is not just condense time, but mm -hmm. condense information down too, because they can't, re you know, you can't really go, you know, too in depth or the movie's going to stretch out of control out of, and out of yeah. length. I'm trying to, um, I was trying to draw, like, the first thing I wanted to think of when I was trying to convey to listeners like the, the style this film is done in, and certainly Dragnet came to mind, Dragnet right. episodes. But I'm thinking that there's, there's, I think right outside of my consciousness, there's movie, there's like an American film that's a parallel or something in the sense of the way the narration is done in this film. Uh, you know, uh, basically there's a lot of it, and it kind of sets up every scene or gives you a lot of just matter, and the narration is very, very matter-of-fact. Uh, like I said, if, if you've seen Dragnet episodes, it's, it's almost it's, newscaster like. Yeah, right? but I feel like yeah, I feel like there's another TV show or another film or something that would be even closer. Like if I said it, people would say like, "Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about," but I just have not been able to think of it. But well, Dragnet's uh, a pretty interesting. It's a pretty close, yeah. you know, just that sort of you know, just the facts, ma'am, kind of you know, kind of narration yeah. there, you know. Now, one of the things, one things we, one of the things we'd have to to, to pony up to really quickly is the fact that this is a film that strives and they tell you right up front at the beginning yeah. of the film and at the yeah. end they're trying really really hard to stick to the known facts of the case they're right. trying they're right. not trying to embellish they're not trying to do mm -hmm. anything other than relate the facts as they are known and um they even go so far and they and they and they stress this at the beginning of the film that this film was shot on the on the same locations where all these things took place right. there's only one location they had to recreate uh, because, as they tell you, kind of as a spoiler right at the beginning of their own film, the the location that they had to recreate, well, it doesn't exist anymore because it got blown all to shit in the explosion. Well, right, yeah. Which, of course, makes sense. So when you are, I mean, and strangely enough, as a side note, that's actually one of the neater things to me as, you know, dumb American who's never been to Spain, 
to see, which is, you know, this movie was shot in 1977. It's kind of amazing to see all this stuff on the streets of Madrid. Yeah. And in the countryside mm-hmm. of, the, of, the, of the northern country. Uh, it, it's, it's very interesting to see all this because it's, a, it, it's this wonderful kind of unfiltered look mm-hmm. at what it was like to be in these places. Mm-hmm. Uh, they film inside that, that big church where, uh, where the, the object of their, their plot mm-hmm. actually went on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. There are all these things that, that are really kind of fascinating because they try really hard, as in, do- in, in normal docudrama fashion, to, put, to, to kind of give you that you-are-there kind mm-hmm. of feeling, to put you in yeah. the, the spot. And so almost all this film is shot on locations. And it's uh, also too that uh, it's actually a pretty watchable print that out there. It's it's, pretty, oh, yeah. it's actually pretty good shape. I mean, it's not it's, bad. Uh, to it's not be bad at all. you compared to a lot of the things you find on the the special antenna, it's actually not bad at all. Yeah, sometimes it can get a little out of control. Yeah. Well, uh, first off, this film is uh, directed by a man who Nashi worked with two other times. Right. We've covered two of those films. He uh, he worked with him on Seven Murders for Scotland Yard mm-hmm. and The Crimes of Patois in uh, seventy one and seventy three, respectively. And uh, he worked with him on, uh, I think he worked with him on one other film, but I can't remember what the heck it is right off the top of my head. And the, oh, I'm sorry. The, oh, and the, I'm sorry. Yeah. The director's name is yes. uh, Jose Luis Madrid. And, and the he, film is shot in Madrid, so that would yeah. kind of be like Johnny Knoxville making a film in Knoxville, I guess, if you want to draw an American parallel, well, yes, which but, I won't. But just but, if I, you but I know to, that Johnny Knoxville actually like <laughs> took the name know, from the town, yeah. so. <laughs> I want, you know how much I wanted Johnny Knoxville to be a really ignorant, stupid human being, and yeah, every time just, I see an interview with just, him, I realize he's, he's pretty. Yeah, I actually cool. realize that he's he's actually pretty damn smart. Yeah. Like, damn it, that should not be that way. Because I want to hate him. Yeah. And yet every time I see an interview with him, I'm like, shit, you could sit he's down a, and shoot yeah. the bull. I know. Guy. Yeah, he I really could. I mean, he's like, oh, damn it. Oh god, it, I mean, it, it really it sucks. Anyway, <laughs> I, want him, I want him to be a twit, but he's not a twit. Ah, oh, crap. Anyway, um. Back to our film. This, um, I enjoy docudramas, but I never go out of my way to see them. Mm-hmm. So to have one kind of plop in our yeah, lap and yeah. kind of become what, what we're doing here mm-hmm. is a bit of, was a bit of a shock. When yeah, I when yeah. I decided, okay, let's go ahead and cover that film, I didn't even realize that was the style of film. No, no, I don't think, yeah, we, I don't think either of us, we knew it was based on a real life event, but really didn't realize it was that. I thought maybe it was just sort of suggested by that. I had no idea it was literally taking that event and, and, and well, step yeah. by step going, taking you through it. Yeah. I thought it would be more along the lines of uh, the film that Nashi made soon after this, The Sniper. Yeah. Which was, you know, a fictionalized account mm. of someone who takes it upon himself and decides he wants to try to assassinate General Franco. Right, I was thinking that too. And uh, so I thought it was going to be more along those lines, and it is not. No. Uh, which is which is interesting in and of itself. Mm. Well, let's just start off and start going through the movie. I don't know. We're not. I don't. Uh, I don't think we were going to go. We're going to go too deep into it because honestly, there's not a whole lot to go too deep into from the from the aspect of mm. what it's doing and what it's saying. It is mu- very much, very much of a telling you a factual narrative about uh, about um, real life events and so i think mm-hmm. going through this in the way that we're going to you'll catch on to what we're doing here mm-hmm. okay the film first of all let's let's state that it starts out uh the first thing you see is a typewriter typing out uh, the idea that uh, history repeats itself and uh essentially it'll it'll continue to do that until uh, as one i forget i forget who the quote is from until men learn to love each other the the filmmakers are using this opening scene before the credits even start to get across the idea that uh the point of this film is to lay out the facts of what happened 
you know, four years previous, and also to condemn terrorism. Right. The, 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 they, want to, they want to stress right up front that they're not trying to glorify the events right. that they're about to portray. So, understandable. And then we get into where essentially the first seven minutes of the film is a bio of the man who is yes. assassinated. Yes, a lot of interesting which is things. Odd. This film. Yes, there's a lot of things that I want to talk about with this film as we get into it about why they have, the way things... How it, you know, what we, what they say their purpose is the film, and then where they go with that, okay. and how they choose to show things. But yes, first we were given this uh, actually very well written kind of. Well, it's it's a neat little bio of, of of Louis Louis Blanco, who was the who succeeded Franco as the president, was pretty much a crony of Franco's. Now, if you've heard our show over the years, and certainly Franco still has his people who revere him and support him but there's but in general he's not well remembered by society at large because he of his the totalitarianism of his his rule you know he was oh, he's yeah. been he called was... a fascist he was actually more of a monarchist really i mean as far as his you know his the power that he believed he should have and gave himself into his, his government to, to control people's lives and to completely dictate what was seen by people where the country yes and so obviously there was a lot of, of negative feeling towards him, this film doesn't really go into that other than much to say that that Louis Blanco distinguished himself in his life through his military career and was and, and was a close friend of Franco and became his successor as president. And yeah, so that's that's and so what we basically get is like you said, this kind of a a, a brief overview of his life and then kind of of, of finishes up by I, I like what it says about him saying like he made mistakes like all men, but the future that, you know, so he still, he was an, kind of an architect of the future that was to come. You know, he had a great influence, impact, well, what he did, both good and bad, you know. But it does kind of present him as something of a hero, I think, you know. I mean, it's it's not Agreed. without overtly standing, but I think that it pretty much, like... Well, it, it, it portrays him in a very positive light. It does, it does. Uh, it, it relates, you know, his birth... His 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 ascension, his working his way up through the uh, the Spain, uh, Spanish na- uh, naval, his, 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 it relates to Spanish naval career, uh, and the the battles he was involved in, uh, how he became involved in uh, the revolution in the thirties, the you know the Spanish Civil yeah. War, and uh, how he uh, when he met Franco, how they. Um, how Frank, you know, what Franco thought thought of him, why right. why he. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Essentially became I wouldn't necessarily call him a crony, but he was definitely you know someone mm-hmm. who was mm-hmm. part of Fran- of Franco's government as things went on. Yeah, and it was one of those things where you look at it and this is a very brief and very very uh, much um, I don't want to say worshipful, but it's close to worshipful. Mm-hmm. Yes, as a matter of fact, the very last thing where they're yeah. they're talking, they get very poetic at the very oh, end very of the bio so yeah. about the uh, the statue with his face on it in his birthplace, like, looking yeah. out over the sea yeah, as like, this, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, d- d- looking for, uh, you know, as, yeah. as if it were looking for dangers to come to to Spain's shores. Yeah. It's one of those very odd moments where you're just like, okay, we've now crossed yeah. over into really flowery poetry yeah. about this man and as good a guy as he may have been I'm like wondering see I'm thinking like I'm and I'll continue to we'll continue to address this as we go along is what are they really saying is there something else going on here something ironic in this yeah. opening is there something a little tongue in cheek maybe or is there something just because this is all we know this guy we will know nothing more of him as the rest of the film goes on because he is not a really a character no, in this film. from there on we set up this whole thing about him, and then from there on, you only see him. You know, all that's going on has really nothing to do with him, other than that he's the uh, the he's ultimate the, he's the object, object target. But other than showing a couple of scenes of him riding in car, we never see him speak. We never see him interact with anybody. We see him a couple of times in the church. You know, who he goes right. to regularly. 
So, yeah, as we go on, we'll kind of like maybe just see, like, we can figure out, get a line on what, what is really going on here. What is what now, are they... let, let me ask you a question here. Uh-huh. This is what I began to wonder, especially about halfway through even the first viewing of the film. Yes. I began to wonder... Mm-hmm. Because my first thought when I looked at the when I looked mm-hmm. at the film is this movie mm-hmm. is an hour and forty three or forty four minutes long. I was like, wow, that's that's roughly about ten minutes longer than I well, really kind of expected get, it yeah. to be. Right. And then you look at the length of this bio and mm-hmm. all the stuff at the beginning of the film before the movie even properly starts with the credit sequence, and you're like, wow, I wonder if that was stuff that they completed the film and then realized Ooh, if we don't st- if we don't put this stuff at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Our audience may misinterpret this, or worse, yeah. the government may. Yeah, well, and I, that's you touched on something. I was thinking there could be an aspect here of uh, let's get let's do something to get this past, you know, to get this where we can actually exhibit this, show this somewhere, you right. know, let's get this past the government. You know, we may have to state first off because some of the things they do later in the film kind of contradict what they're a little some of the stuff they're doing at the first. Not exactly. To, you know, there's so. a really interesting, <laughs> well written and well acted scene later mm. in the film yeah. that is kind of the crux of a couple of these terrorist characters speaking to each other about mm. how they are even if they might wish to stop mm-hmm. the violence that is inherent in what they're doing, they really can't. Right. There's nothing they can do that would stop what is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could completely exit the situation and refuse to participate and it wouldn't stop a thing. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they were attempting to find a way to make sure that they weren't seen as... Um, Advocating what these guys uh, yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Or, or at least apologizing for them. Yeah. Or at least putting them in a, in a light that could be seen as um, in any way positive. Because I, I don't know... This is the thing where I don't know the Spanish thoughts on the matter, especially in the 70s. Right, right. Um, Because, remember, and this is something that a lot of people these days do not realize, because we didn't, especially in the United States, we did not live in Europe in the 70s. But I can tell you right now, Europe in the late 60s, all the way through the late 70s, was some violent fucking times. Yeah, yeah. If if you know anything about Mm. all the shit that was going down in Italy, just in Italy alone, yeah, and in Spain as well, yeah. with 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 ETA, the terrorist group that's at the center of this story, yeah. there, this was a time of of terrorism, of unrest, of mm-hmm. economic unrest, mm-hmm. of all kinds of problems that really had a lot of people yeah. for a solid ten or twelve years really wondering whether or not mm-hmm. this this whole governmental setup that most yeah. of these countries in Europe had was really anything that was going to be able to last. Well, and look at, I mean, the the ETA is, you can pretty much draw a direct parallel between them and the IRA, you know. And, yes, and exactly. look at all that was going on in Belfast and all that was going on, you know, in Ireland because uh, it's just sort of similar, similar, with a similar situation as you're dealing with an ethnic group that wanted its own state, you know, wanted its own independence, mm-hmm. And there was a faction within that faction that within that state that were the really hard line extremists, you know, and that's what Edda is. You know, it's not that all Basque were extremists, even even all the ones that wanted an independent even state. Even all the ones that were separate. But you but always yeah. have but then you have this faction that's like the IRA that basically is is any means necessary kind of people. And right. you know. I'm I'm reminded uh, I'm reminded of all also of the the uh, the que- que- uh, the Quebec separatists, the, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the, the the, the hardliners in that in that respect and the and the trouble that Canada has had with them from time to time mm-hmm. and it's that and it's that kind of thing where like I say this movie takes place in a time I mean when the, when this assassination happened it was not an isolated incident it right. was the okay. biggest incident right. in Spain yeah but it was not the only incident of that type that was going down in Europe 
Mm-hmm. And uh, violence, terrorism was a big thing, and it was happening on a regular basis. It was never very far from people's minds. And I think that's something that, as Americans, we don't really know, and it's not something that really kind of... It's not common knowledge. And I don't think it was even really common knowledge past about 1985 yeah. for people who really weren't tuned into well, world events. And we, we didn't plan this, we promised, but we were recording this on 9-11. And the <laughs> fact that yes. we had such a huge terrorist attack in this country, you know, and at the same, and we still don't step out of our door every day wondering if, if there's going to be a bomb in the local market, you know, and they're, unlike people in so many other countries who that's just a daily part of their days. Like if I go down to the yeah. market, you know, then... You know, there you know there may be a, maybe a, a, a you know a bomb go off something. And so. and that was a lot of people's experience day to day in a lot of different countries in Europe. Mm-hmm. And so this the the fact that this film got made at all, I I I'm impressed by because the hoops mm-hmm. that they would know they would have to jump through. Yeah. I think one of the hoops they had to jump through was this really positive look at the victim of the bombing mm-hmm. uh, at. Uh, Louis, uh, Louis, uh, Louis Blanco. Yeah. Uh, Louis, uh, Car- uh, what is it? Is it, is it, uh, Car- Cario. Cario, 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 something uh, Blanco. But, uh, and I think that's what he's generally known by. But, uh, mm. but this really positive, uh, and, and I would feel too long, but maybe for their purposes, it wasn't necessarily long enough. Bio at the beginning of the film is something that they kind of had to do to make sure that they, <laughs> That, that they got a usable product that could actually go into theaters. Hmm. Uh, one thing that I wish I knew is whether or not this film uh, did well. I don't know that it did. Uh, yeah, that would, I, I would know. be curious to know how many people actually saw it, you know, uh, if it's, yeah, what it's thought of day. I do notice that it was his last, I think it's uh, Jose Madrid's uh, last uh, film. <laughs> I think he wrote um, one more screenplay. Well, but no, no. I think uh, he... As a director, no, he continued to make films oh, okay. well after made... this. Oh, okay, okay. I thought that I uh, well, I mean, it wrong. Made... I thought that... Well, no, that's... That, that, uh, actually, you're well, right. Well, he didn't make one until, what, six, well, he uh, did, you're right. six he years after? He, did, he didn't direct another film <laughs> so, until six so years after this. So maybe, that may tell us You're right. So maybe things did not go as well as I thought it might have. Well, there's a lot of things. Uh, yeah, a lot of things we can get into this film. Let's first just talk about how Senor Lobo fits into it because he is the star of our show and he is a yeah. major part in this film. He had nothing to do with script writing or anything behind the scenes, nope. but he does have a prominent part in the film. He gets to show off his guns a lot. I thought that was interesting that they make use of <laughs> make use of his uh, of his weightlifting experience in this and his weightlifting championship uh, to give him some good screen time. He plays a character named Pacholo. Pacholo, yeah. and he is one of the Basque separatists, a member mm-hmm. of the terrorist group ETA. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you unaware, ETA is a, a, a Basque terrorist group uh, formed in '59. Um, that turned violent in roughly 68. From 68 to mm-hmm. roughly the time of this film, they were responsible for a number of assassinations. Uh, the count that I have seen is uh, they were involved for a little under 1,000 deaths yeah, yeah. over the course is, of that period of time. Which is a pretty huge number. I'd say That's for a lot pretty of massive, yeah. To this day, I think that uh, there are about 700 members of the, of the group are in prison in yeah. different countries, Spain, France, and mm-hmm. a few others in Europe. This was... Bar none, a terrorist organization, and um, they they fought hard. They wanted they wanted their own homeland, and they wanted mm-hmm. a separation from Spain. Mm-hmm. And their main their main opponent was General Franco, and that is everything they aimed themselves at. Apparently, mm-hmm. so what we have here is the story over the course of a year of the the first well, at first is a, a, an attempt yeah we should to do that's important kidnap. yeah they first yeah. wanted to kidnap they want to kidnap blanco. blanco 
because he's one that they've discovered that they can probably get at. He mm-hmm. has a really regular routine, mm-hmm. and he's not he he's he uh, for only for some reason he doesn't have a lot of guards. Security. Well, they, I think at one point when the characters say that has something to do with his military background, that just because of what yeah. he's used to, the autonomy or the power he's expected or the authority. He's had in just a way, maybe just his courage is what they're saying or whatever, but the fact that he said it's common, one of them says it's common with military, ex-military men, that says is that they're not comfortable with having a lot of security bodyguards around them. They don't right. really need it, you know. So we see a, a, an Ed a meeting. Well, the, one of the first things we see is actually, uh, I, I love the fact that the film starts with the phrase, the supposed events. Yeah. So in, in other words, stating up front yeah. that this is the best information we have. This is what we yeah. think exactly, this is as close to the real events as we can possibly get. This is mm-hmm. what we think exactly happened. Mm-hmm. And here you go. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, there's the, the first sequence, which is several minutes long, that I, actually in the film is you have a couple of ETA members attempting to break out of jail. They're in prison. Yeah. And they fail. Um, seemed like a pretty good attempt. I'd love to know how they got their hands on the gun they used. Yeah. Because yeah. that's completely unexplained. But uh, And never explained it. The next day, time we see them, they're free. They're, they're, they're free. both out and free. Yeah. So uh, we, we're, we're in a, at a meeting, and this is where they discuss they're going to try to kidnap Blanco, and they send Pacholo, who's played by Nashi, and uh, Axter, who's played by Tony Isbert. Who yeah, we, who we who just was saw in last, our, yeah, yeah, Cross of the Devil, yeah. Cross of the Devil. Uh, Tony Isbert is an actor I'd like to, to, to speak about briefly because... Yeah, yeah. he was uh, in Inquisition, too. Yeah. He was in Inquisition. He worked with Nashi several times, and... Uh, the more I see of him, the more I like him. I think Me it's kind of nice good. to see him a yeah. couple of... I think it's nice to see him two two months in a row uh, because uh, one of the things I, I, I really enjoy about him is that he looked quite different in Cross of the Devil from what he looks like here. Yeah, he does. And it's not as if he was wearing facial hair in one film and right. not in the other, but he carries himself in a different way. He's yeah. actually a pretty good physical actor. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. I, I've liked both his... I've liked his, his performances we've seen. Uh-huh. Well, and, and another thing... Uh, he was also he also co starred with Nashi in uh, one of the uh, one of the last films that Nashi was involved with um, with Leon Klamovsky that we have yet to see mainly because it's almost impossible to find and that's a film from 1976 called Sequestro. Sequestro. And uh, it is uh, apparently Nashi plays a member of a kidnapping gang in a story inspired oh, by the yes, Patricia by Hearst the Patricia. Case. Yes, you're right. This is one we have kind of on our wish list to track but we down, and we it. haven't found it. We yet. cannot find it. And Tony Isbert is in that film as well, which is just one of those things. It's just another one of those things that pushes me toward wanting to see no, this film oh, now because yeah. Nashi wrote the script, Nashi stars in it, mm-hmm. and Tony Isbert's in it, and I'm get, I'm getting interested in Tony Isbert because seeing him, mm-hmm. you know, in two yeah. films back to back, and honestly, he really looks different in both movies. So I'm kind of wanting to to track it down. Honestly, no one has it. Yeah, the special yeah. antenna is it's coming up empty on this one. Well. Cannot locate it. But it hope, is, hope springs eternal. We hope will, springs maybe someday. Eternal. But um, in this meet, in this meeting, they send Pacholo and Axter to Madrid because they, they none of the people in Etta. They're remember they're from the north. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't know Madrid, and so. They send them to to scout out the scout out the place and to see if the word that they've heard that Blanco would actually be uh, it would be possible to kidnap him. See if that's true. See if he can be gotten to. Yeah. So they go there and for the for a couple of weeks they they arrive in uh, December, actually on December first, nineteen seventy two, they arrive and they start watching um, Blanco. And they discover that his schedule really is as regular as clockwork. You could almost set your watch exactly. by this man's That's schedule. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. When they report back, they think that it's possible. They really do mm-hmm. think that this can be done. Here's one of the problems I have with this movie 
And mm-hmm. uh, you, I don't know if you'll feel this way as well. I feel this movie is unfortunately needlessly padded at times. Uh, yes, thank you. And the first moment where I In felt the, it was needlessly padded, okay. even on first viewing, yeah. was this thing where they've studied him for two weeks. Mm-hmm. They think they they think it's possible they're going to go back and report to the to Etta, but Etta agents pick them up in a car, blindfold them, mm-hmm. and drive them to where they're going to meet out in mm-hmm. North Country. And, and we see every minute of the drive. And we see every minute of the drive. You're right. <laughs> the voiceover relates uh, that it's like a two and a half hour drive, but a lot of it is because the drivers are making sure that there's no way that they could know exactly where this meeting is taking place mm-hmm. in case they're captured sure, or whatever. Right. They yeah. won't know where this, this yeah. safe house is. Fine and dandy. Yeah, it's okay to show us a little bit of their tactics. It's fine. No, but, no, no, no. But it's you don't not... have to show us like just endless scenes of... Well, it's not... I have, just... I have nothing against yeah. show, don't tell. It is a yeah. movie after all. Show us. Yeah. I got it. Sure. But if you're going to tell us that in the voiceover, yeah. you don't have to also show us that for about <laughs> yeah. three minutes. We <laughs> yeah. got it. Yeah. We, you could just show the car driving down a dirt road with that voiceover and we go, oh, okay, cool, smart, mm-hmm. smart, mm-hmm. understand. Mm-hmm. You don't have to tell us and show us then I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs. Yeah, and there's a lot of that in the first half of this film. Well, here's the thing is there's there's really sort of, a, like, I, I totally agree with you. That was one of the big problems I had with the film. And I think it's a real detriment in the first half of the film. Not so much, I didn't mind it as much when you're into the meat and potatoes of when you're really going down the countdown in the last few hours. and it's, yes. then, it, then when it shows... No, 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 that is when you need to be doing that. Because, and it starts showing where everybody's at and because that builds the suspense. Exactly. Because and it really does a good job of that in the last half of the film, building the suspense and kind of showing where they're all showing how each of them kind of gets in the situation where something could almost like go wrong, somebody gets in their right. way where they can't get... But the first half of the film, where every time somebody has to go somewhere, we have to see them going, going there. there. Everything that really, yeah, that that, that got old fast. And um, and honestly, um, so losing that could have lost a good. You know, we're talking about how this film could have been tighter. The fact that it is an hour and almost hour and forty five minutes. You know that yeah. that could have lost time. And really, um, I think that that whole. I really think it could have done without the whole opening prison sequence too. I d- exactly. Because That's the here's the reason why. Well, it's unnecessary. It yes, because one of the things that I think is effective about the film is that it doesn't tell you. That's the only backstory at all we get on any of the characters. Is the that two of these guys were in prison and they tried to escape once and it didn't work. I think you know as far as Paul Nashi and most of the other characters, I think that's more effective because you never know what brought these guys to this point to be the kind of people who would choose to not only take a life but also were to realize that they're pretty much kind of sacrificing themselves and very likely that they very much could yeah. like in a way giving their own lives for doing this you know but you never see where any of these other guys come from so why they chose to show where these two guys because it really even seeing where they come from it, it really didn't add much to why they're doing what they're doing because for one thing they're not they don't look like they're actually being we don't see, it's not like we're seeing scenes of them being mistreated in prison or... No. And one of the things that's effective about this film is there's never any point where these guys discuss why they're doing this. I mean, they all know why they're doing this, so there's no exposition to tell us. They never get into big political dialogues or big philosophical dialogues. I mean, there is this real nice scene we're going to talk about later, like you talked about, between right. two characters that kind of is the key the key conversation in the whole film. But in general... You know, these, there's not a whole lot of um, dogma that we hear from these guys in the film, and so well, as a matter of fact, I would say there's no dogma. there's no dogma about like 
what what these guys' beef is, what their cause is, you know. Right. And so, and this prison scene does nothing to help with that. And so, I thought it would have just been better if we hadn't seen anything from any of the characters leading up to them why they're here, because that I seems agree. to be what the film's trying to to do is not give you anything. So yeah, so that whole scene could have been lost, I think. Well, see, it also that that scene at the beginning with the the, the failed prison escape is the only portion of the film that doesn't take place in the year the yes. film is purporting right. to, to, to cover. Yeah. In other words, the mm. film has nothing to do with that prison break. The no, film no. is about the assassination. Yeah. What turns into the yeah. assassination. Yeah. So, like I say, I feel the film is padded out, and it seems to me you could carve six, seven, eight minutes out of this movie without I think blinking. so easily, yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't have hurt it at all. You know, make it, about, yeah, make it like an hour and 35 or something, I think would have been perfect. It, Easily, easily, easily. So, what we have at this point is um, they they make their report. They they talk to uh, the the Edda, the Edda people in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, about the fact that they think it they think it'd be done, but because none of them are familiar with Madrid, it's not something they can pull off in just a few days. They don't have any infrastructure. They don't know people. Mm. So it's going to take months to set this up. They're gonna they're gonna need to to, to get there, get set up, know the city, know the location they want to use. Figure out, you know, where we're going to hold him. If we're going to kidnap him, we've got to have a place to hold him. We've got to. There's all this stuff that has to be in place before we can do this. So this is mm-hmm. going to take months to set up. So they're kind of. Uh, I guess you would just have to refer to him as the their their leader or the 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 uh, the kind of uh, almost section leader or yeah. chief of mm-hmm. this detail is a character named Julian. Uh, Julian. I want to. I want to say right. it's Julian, fine. but yeah. it's. Probably more like Hulen. It's probably more like Hulen, Hulen maybe, yeah. or Yulen. J-U-L-E-N. Yeah. And um, um, he's, uh, he, they set up the idea that they're, they're going to have to be careful and they're going to have to go, go about this because, one for one thing, apparently there is such a thing as a Basque accent. In other words, a North Country mm-hmm. accent that can kind of give them away or cause them some trouble. So mm-hmm. they have to be careful to appear to be completely above reproach. They cannot look as if they're shady. They can't look as if they're, they're people who are who are even uh, mildly criminal in any way, mm-hmm. shape, or form. They have to be on the up and up. They have to appear clean. Right. And um, they they say, okay, that's what we're going to do. He sends them back to Madrid, and Julian, or Julian, uh, starts gathering up the rest of the team. He starts going around to, to find mm-hmm. the people he's going to put together as a unit to do this. And this is the team that becomes... Commando Shakia. Right. So, um, they get there. Uh, there's some, there's some really. This is where I think the the docudrama stuff really works for me very effectively because what you have here is uh, Julian. They, they 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 get to Madrid. They set themselves up, and he assigns them. Here's what you're going to tell people you're in Madrid for. Here's the job that yeah. you do. Here's yeah. who you work for. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, is, he, he talks about what he, he, his, his supposed job is, which is something that allows him to not be at work every day. Mm-hmm. Gives him an excuse to be doing certain things. Mm-hmm. And he assigns similar things to all four, the, to the other four guys. Mm-hmm. And that's very effective. I, I, I like that very much. In other words, it's showing us the, it's the kind of thing I really love in a film of this type. Yeah. It's like when you watch a film about a safe cracker, I love getting into the nuts and bolts mm-hmm. about how they do what they do. In other yeah. words, you learn a little bit, even if it's fictionalized, mm-hmm. you learn a little bit about what these people do in, you know, what the process of their work is, what they do to get their job done. And I think mm-hmm. that's fascinating and that's one of these, that's that's a scene yeah. that I really like in this movie for that yeah. reason. Mm-hmm. So, um, then let's talk about, okay, because the very next thing I want to talk about is after, after that scene, we have what I refer to as the, uh, 
And boy, I better preface this carefully. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to give the impression that I don't want to see Julia Sally. I know what you're going to say because we never, never yeah. don't like seeing, you know. No, Miss Sally. Miss Sally could show up in any film whatsoever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, if you want to start a Kickstarter plan, I'm fine with actually trying to inject her into Casablanca, Maltese Falcon, yeah. Wizard of Oz, whatever you want mm-hmm. to do, just to see her more on screen. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with that. But. But with the keyword you say was show up, and that's basically just what she does in this film. Right. <laughs> so, so, so Nashi's character and one of the other characters, uh, uh, character, a character that uh, is called Bob, shows up. That they, they go to a grocery store to pick up food, and she is a clerk in the grocery store. Yeah. Okay, all fine and good. Yeah. But. And, and, I, and, and the I, clerk, and, and that's an interesting thing that starts it, is the clerk kind of makes some joke. He makes a joke oh, about no, the, Bass. The, actually, it seems like the, uh, the, the owner, owner of the, the store owner makes, make, makes, makes a joke. Like, oh, here are the edit guys. And they just and like they, freeze. They, they like freeze. Like, like, oh, God, is this guy seen through us? Does he know yeah. something? But it's just him joking. Because he pretty much pegs them as Bass pretty quickly, but right. he doesn't really even realize, so he's just saying yeah, he doesn't really think they're terrorists right. at all. Who you know? Right. Who would? I mean, this guy right. are just coming down to get food. Who gives a shit? Yeah. And I think it's I think I think it's funny that that that's another positive to the film yeah. is is to have something like that in there because if the Basque accent is something that someone who lives in Madrid would hear immediately, yeah, well somebody's going to say something, and even mm. if they, even if it's just a joke to needle somebody or to mm. to, to whatever this guy's you know whatever this yeah. guy's thinking, it's nice to have that in there because one, from what I understand, uh, if you know this is a Spanish film and you know. And in Spain, it's something that would be something the audience would expect. Somebody's right. going to say, so, "Hey, mm-hmm. yeah, people are going to know they're they're mm-hmm. Basque. They're mm-hmm. going to know it." Mm-hmm. So that that that's a pretty cool scene. But the, like I say, we get to the we get to Miss Sally, and you're just the like, "Okay, yeah. okay." So you're here. Why are you here? Why are you in this mm-hmm. film? She's the only female character in the entire film. Uh, and I almost feel like, was there some feeling like we got to have a female character right. somewhere? Because where I thought it was going, I'm sure you did too. Okay, I was, she and she and Nashi strike up a little bit of a romance, as you do with Nashi. Uh, yeah, and uh, an entire, town, I mean, an entire know, two scenes. Two romance. scenes, two scenes. And we have this sort of thing where the guy, you know, warns, you know, a couple of the other guys sort of warn Nashi now, you know, you know, you're always thinking with your dick and all this stuff, you know, basically say, saying, you know, right. don't, don't say, remember, we got to stay focused. And I thought it was going to lead up to at least some sort of suspense or some kind of confrontation or some sort of thing later in the film where she was going to almost find out or that he was going to have to... Or there was going to be some conflict in his mind about whether or not he wanted to to go through with this. And we get nada, you know. It's It's just the last time we see them is she's kind of, you know, checking him out while he's working out and there's where we get to see some of Nashi doing his weightlifting thing and and they sort of wander off, walk off and... And And he he says, well, you know, I'm I'm thinking... And that... Don't get me wrong. The the voiceover does a good job of pointing out something that mm. should be obvious in a, in a story of this type, especially one that's trying mm. to relate something that happened in real life, is that they do their best to fit in and to lead you know to lead what will be uh, considered yeah. a normal life, so yeah. that they don't draw attention to themselves. Yeah. Very smart move. Don't draw attention to yourself. Right. Oh yeah. Oh, well, he's you know that guy. He's dating yeah. the shopkeeper. He, yeah. He's dating the the, yeah. the store clerk. Of course. Yeah. He's a normal guy who wouldn't want to date her, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Good idea. Yeah. But the film doesn't need it. Yeah, it doesn't need it because it doesn't ever do anything really significant with it. There's nothing between their characters that that gives you any, that that has any kind of real bearing or even, like I say, even something that would just heighten the suspense or the tension of what these guys are trying to do. It just doesn't do anything with it. And um, so so, uh, one thing, I I don't know if we ever pointed this out before, we may have, but I was in, in looking at all the actor credits again. I looked again at 
at uh, Julia Siley's uh, uh, film credits, and right. she had 16 acting credits. 14 of them were with Nashi. That's pretty amazing. That for, to talk about yes. a career totally tied up, two with actors together actor, is just yeah. like, yeah, 14 of 16 of her. And, of course, we know one of her non-Nashi credits was not at the Seagulls, but uh, right. one of the Blind Dead films. But I thought that was pretty incredible. I knew she was in a lot of Nashi films. I never realized that all but two of her of her credits were, in, were, were with Nashi. And it does bring up, when you consider how... And I'm going to use this word, and I don't want it to be—I don't want it to be misconstrued. When you take into account the number of those film credits, the number of uh, her appearances in films that are completely negligible, yeah, that and, add that, and that does happen a lot. The film, yeah, that you can add this film to that list. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the her pointless scene in uh, *Naked Madrid*. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason for her character to be in that movie. Mm. My I am absolutely, totally, and completely convinced that her segments in uh, Beast Carnival or uh, Human Beasts, the, mm-hmm. the film from uh, 1980 mm-hmm. that we've we've covered yeah. already, uh, I'm convinced yes, the more I watch that, about, the more were... I watch that film that her sequences were filmed completely mm-hmm. separate from the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, one has to wonder what is behind having her in some of these movies. Mm-hmm. I don't think. And we and and we know that you know soon after she became a, a we do know a producer she, she stopped she didn't want she didn't have anything else to do I mean her last movie credit is Operation Mantis which don't get me wrong is a bad enough film to end anybody's career <laughs> but it's not the kind of thing where it seems clear to me that it's that movie came out in eighty five mm-hmm. and that is around the time Nashi's career was in the tank yeah yeah he didn't have the pull to get. This yeah. beautiful young lady who maybe didn't necessarily really want to be in the movies into films. Yeah. And it seems to me that he was probably more than I think is necessarily common knowledge. Her, boy, I don't want to use the wrong word here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really don't want to use Well, the wrong it has word been here. speculated before. I mean, I know we've well, had I'm not, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that he's the guy who pushed her. To be in film. Oh yeah, yeah. If you, yeah, no. If you're saying like yeah, that he that that he probably that if she's well, in his film, use, it's I, because he maybe put he pulled strings behind the to right, get her that right. role. Oh, I totally believe that. I would I would say that's probably a very likely that that he he. The, the know, word I didn't want to use. The word I didn't want to use because I didn't want it to sound cheaper or kind right. of, you know, or kind yeah, of sure, salacious sure. is pimp. Yeah, in yeah. In other words, he's 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 the guy behind the scenes pushing her out there, getting her mm-hmm. into this into the public into the into into the mm-hmm. public. And I, I, I don't want that, to, I, I, that that's too salacious and, and nasty a term, really, mm-hmm. for what I'm attempting to say. But it's very clear mm-hmm. she may never have been in films if yeah. if it were not for Nash. And then when she started producing films, obviously she's, she was help, she's she certainly was helping him. Yeah. Get it. yeah. So, right, yeah, because her yeah, producer credits are all related to Nashi, every single one of them. That's mm-hmm. who. That's mm-hmm. the, how they work together. Starting with Human Beast, Night, you know, Night of the Werewolf, mm-hmm. Panic Beats, Beast of the Magic Sword, Last Kamikaze. So what we're talking about here is a woman who she's very wedged into this film. Yeah. And yeah, this is another one of those movies where it shows. I yeah. mean, yeah. Unless the producers are like, okay, 
one of the guys involved in this, you know, one of the things he did mm-hmm. was he briefly went out on a few dates with this this woman. Mm-hmm. Okay, that allows us to put a female character in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I can see that yeah. uh, from a producer's uh, sure. standpoint of, well, you know, mm-hmm. it gives us a female character. Get the prettiest woman that you can find. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't Just have to be a fantastic to actress or anything like yeah. that. She's going to be in a total of two to three, maybe four scenes, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And. You know, you got your actor standing there going, I know exactly who you need. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, you know, hey, I got mean, somebody yeah. here. Because the fact that she was in so few other films outside of Nash, she just shows that she didn't obviously do a whole lot of promoting of herself or right. trying to get in, trying to work anywhere else in the industry a whole lot. You know, she didn't, you know, or that she, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, she only got these two other roles even that, that were not directly related. Right, right. Resuelto el problema de la escalera que llegó a parecer insoluble, el comando Chiqui, rendido por la intensa actividad desplegada y con todo preparado para la operación que se efectuaría al día siguiente, se fue a descansar. A las 7 de la mañana había que estar en el campo de operaciones. Pero un imprevisto más iba a aplazar la operación, cuya preparación había costado un año de intenso y minucioso trabajo. La llegada del secretario de Estado norteamericano Henry Kissinger a Madrid el día 19 de diciembre de 1973 impidió el desarrollo de la acción del comando Siquía. Las extraordinarias medidas de seguridad que se tomaron, y muy concretamente alrededor de la Embajada de los Estados Unidos de América, en cuya área se encuentra la iglesia de San Francisco de Borja y el semisótano, forzaron al aplazamiento del día D. Dato curioso. La policía americana de seguridad, desde días antes, había peinado la zona circundante de la embajada sin detectar que a 300 metros escasos, el día 19, Había ya bajo el suelo de la calle de Claudio Coelho 50 kilos de explosivos capaces de volar un edificio. Helicopter shots. Yes. Lots and lots of helicopter <laughs> shots of Madrid in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, that's one of the, that's another one of the things I kind of like about it because it just gives us that uh, that look inside the peri- that period, yeah. well, you know, mid-70s mid Yeah, Spain. that was one of the things I thought made the, the some of the padding more, definitely more uh, tolerable was just the fact that I, I did enjoy just the scenes of, of, of Madrid life, you know, and what, what it looked like and in that very 70s looking kind of film quality, so, you know, <laughs> everything kind of grayish and rainy. Let me ask you just, a question. Yes, uh-huh. um, I, can, I can tell you what my least favorite, or well, not really least favorite, but my most what-the-fuck moment of padding in the movie is, mm-hmm. is later in the movie when uh, they're digging the tunnel, mm-hmm. okay? And they realize that this thing might collapse on them, and they need to know what the hell they're doing. So the idea is, okay, well, let's go get a book on mining. Oh, yeah. And we see the entire trip <laughs> to the bookstore. Book yeah. Riveting stuff. <laughs> we see the interior of the bookstore. Yeah. We see them being helped by a bookstore clerk. Mm-hmm. While the voiceover is telling it's us. telling us little did the clerk know. And yeah, know not, had not, he known not, the yeah. real reason, they would, yeah, I think we yeah, can figure that out. And it's like, <laughs> what in the fuck are we doing here all yeah. you need all we needed was okay we need to get a book on on yeah. mining uh-huh. you show the dude at the bookstore picking up the book you see them back doing something different in in their tunneling mm-hmm. and you have your sequence <laughs> but that's not what we get well no well first of all back to some things that i like about the movie the voiceover tells us this and we're only shown just a little of it mm-hmm. so the voiceover and the, the show and tell is equaled out here which is very nice which is they they set about you know they they're timing the traffic lights they know the time period uh, they're gonna 
kidnap the guys between 8 and 10 because mm-hmm. this is when he goes to church and they're going to grab him in the church. They've right. decided that's when they're going to do it. Yeah. And so they, they're timing the traffic lights. They're studying the traffic patterns. They're trying to figure out what would be the best pathway to, mm-hmm. to, to take him. They, 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 they realize they're going to get uh, an apartment. They're going to have to get an apartment to stash him in and the, the apartment they're going to get needs to be an upscale one and they need to look uh, like an affluent a group of people who are renting this place because wealthy people are, are questioned less often and, and no, there, there are fewer questions to answer when you mm. are perceived as wealthy or at least mm. above average in wealth. Yeah. The plan, they go through a couple of possibilities and then they explain that, the, the, you know, we're, we're going to grab him in the church. Julian demonstrates why that's the best plan. Or Ju- I'm just going to say Julian. Finally. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> and then we see how... They plan to go about this, and we see the an entire sequence, which is really well done through a red filter. We see how they plan to go through and do this in the church. How if everything goes perfectly, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's really neat because we already know that this is not the plan that they right, eventually sure. use. So they can go ahead and show us what they so thought they, they were going to do. Right. Yeah. Which is which is really effective. I like that yeah. sequence. I do too. Um, and and while they're doing it, while they're going through this process. You have the other guys asking the intelligent, obvious questions like, okay, would if we have to fire one of our guns, is it going to be heard out on the street? Mm-hmm. And the, the rationalization of, no, I don't, you know, the, the church, is it's an old church. It's an mm-hmm. old, almost, it's a cathedral. Mm-hmm. Don't, th- don't think it'll be heard outside the church and maybe not even just over the traffic mm-hmm. outside the building. Mm-hmm. And, and all these little things, all these little details yeah. It's, once again, it's that little insight into mm-hmm. planning something this complicated and criminal well, I, as I, carefully as they all yeah. are. I like the part where they took the cars out to a remote area and even simul- even dramatized yeah, they sim- following they, they, they the simulate, car yeah. and then figuring they out why will this plan, why will this method work and this won't, you know, that kind right. of thing. Yeah, so yeah. And, and there's, there's a point later on where, we, and this is something that you kind of expect, where Julian kind of lays down the law of, okay, we're now to a point where we're, we're getting serious. This is about to go down in a few days. No more going out to clubs. Mm-hmm. No more, you know, seeing women or anything mm-hmm. of that nature. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to lock it down here. Everything's set to gold. This is, this is early in July of, uh, I guess it's 1973. Yeah. yeah I believe, yes. So they're, 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 they're set to go and it's about to happen. And that's when things change unexpectedly because that on the 9th of July of that year is when it's announced that uh, Blanco is not no longer going to be just the vice president of government, which has been yeah. his title for some years at that point, but he's been officially named as the president of Spain, mm-hmm. which means that everybody now knows that as far as Franco is concerned, this is the man who's going to succeed him, at mm-hmm. or succeed him, succeed him. Holy crap! I can't think. <laughs> after after Franco's death, right. this is the man who will take his place, yeah. and this is the move that makes that obvious. And as soon as they hear this, they realize, oh shit! Yeah, this is probably going to change his patterns, and probably going to change the amount of guarding around the amount of the amount of security. And uh, sure as hell, that the, yeah. the, the very next day, yeah, he's got more guards. Mm. He's st- but he's still following the same pattern. They watch him, and yeah, more security, same pattern. Mm-hmm. But now they know that kidnapping. They can't grab him, him, there's yeah. no way to kidnap him. It would no. never work. Um, so we then have uh, Julian go back to meet with the other higher ups in Etta and they decide okay we can't kidnap him we're going to have to default to just assassination and I would I'd, I wish I had paid attention this last time I watched the scene because I forgot to um, but I was thinking that 
looking back, I was thinking it was effective or interesting that this because we see a scene of the ETA members voting on whether to execute yeah. the president or not. And they all vote for execution. And I don't think, though, that it's the guys who actually have to carry it out. No, it's not. Which I think is very interesting. That's, That's a very the interesting the only point that makes about is that the people who actually have to put their lives in line and will actually carry it through are not the ones who vote. And it kind of brings up a point of, yeah, it's real easy to decree the death of someone else when you don't have to you you don't have be to the one to actually do it. You yeah. know? You're not the one pulling the trigger or, right. or wielding the knife, as it were. So. Right. Um, on the 10th of November, we, we see that... Uh, Axter, that's uh, Tony Isbert's character, mm-hmm. or Isbear. Yes, I'm not sure if it's Isbear or Isbert. It's, it's, it's got to be Isbear. I, 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 I don't want to insult the man because I really do like the man as an actor, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that that it's 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 got it's got to be Andre Isbear. 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 I, I would bet. Isbear. I would bet money. Isbear. Yeah, I bet it's Isbear. It yeah. I mean, come on, we need to get it right. The man was in Tombs of the Blind Dead. So. <laughs> that's right. No, no, no. That's Andre Edbear. Uh, that's, that's Andre Edbear. Yeah, that's. Oh, that is. That's he was right. A, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, he's, he's yeah. in the film as well, um, and uh, he was in Tombs of the Blind Dead. Not uh, Tony mm. was. Tony was. Tony was not in Tombs of the Blind Dead. Jesus Christ. Tony is bear. Um. Was in tragic ceremony, but I, I I'm pretty sure that it has definitely got to be is bear. There's mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. do not think the T is pronounced. I think you're probably right. I will now take you out of pronunciation theater <laughs> and back into our film. Back okay, into- sorry, <laughs> folks. <laughs> that that little sidetrack brought to you by my misfiring brain. So, 10th of November, uh, Axter um, rent, rents uh, the basement apartment that's along a basement apartment that's along the route that they think will be per- that they think will be perfect for their needs, and they start tunneling under the through the wall of this basement apartment up under the street. Mm-hmm. Um, this is that they start tunneling on December the seventh, nineteen seventy three. Uh, thank you, voiceover, mm-hmm. and. Uh, as they start digging into the to the ground underneath, uh, they realize that uh, uh, they're going to run into some problems. The, the earth smells like gas. And so yeah. they get to the point where they're digging underneath there after they've gone and gotten the mining book where we see the bookstore in full detail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they, they can only work in the tunnel. One individual can only work in the tunnel mm, digging for about way. 15 minutes yeah. or they pass out because the air is yeah. so bad. Mm. And that's what's one of the things that's fascinating about this is the things they don't you don't foresee, the things they didn't foresee that yeah. they had to suddenly deal with you know, as they went along. To make it work, you know, and that was yeah. Suddenly, they have to realize that they, they're, you know, that they, you know, it's like they're in danger of, they're in danger of being of blowing up constantly if someone should happen to. Yeah, <laughs> they, 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 they make they make mention. Yeah. Okay, nobody strike a match. Yeah, <laughs> because if so, we we would all die right yeah. here. Yeah. So uh, this is where, and it's during this process where we have the scene. We have uh, uh, Axer Tony is Bear's character and uh, John the the uh, character played by uh, Jose Antonio. Uh, think Cenos or Cienos mm-hmm. um who's very good by the way he's yeah, the, he's yeah. the he's the bearded fellow yeah um they are the ones driving to go and pick up the um explosives mm-hmm. and this is where they have that conversation we've referenced a couple of times yeah. already which is very very interesting because it really does humanize these characters mm-hmm. in a way that I think may have been completely necessary and it's exactly the kind of thing that thinking intelligent individuals would have a conversation about, but yeah. I would think that the filmmakers would fear they either need to cut this conversation out or have that at the beginning of the film so that they point out that they are not attempting to glorify 
these terrorists in any way. Yeah. But this scene is not a glorification. Anybody no, it's with not. half a brain who wasn't trying to see this movie no. from a political or from a from a from a uh, a reactionary point of view yeah. would would ever think that because these people they're 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 yeah. voicing things that are very very obvious. Yeah. In my opinion, which is that they're in the middle of something that. You know, it has to stop. One, it's Bob, yeah. uh, the the character, uh, who who says, you know, this this is going to have to stop one day. Yeah, he says he says, yeah, they're not going to accomplish. You know, yeah, we, anything, we, yeah. I mean, we're, it? It, it will have to end. Yeah. And um, he he says he he opens it by saying, he says, don't you think this is excess, is excessive? One day it has to end, don't you think? And uh, Axter says it, it's it's difficult. Violence is like gunpowder. Impossible to contain when it, mm. when, when it, uh, when it comes into contact with fire, mm-hmm. and they say you know someone someone should stop, one side or the other has to stop, and they just look at it and they're like, yeah, but who who's going to yeah. stop? Yeah, that's the key, and I think that's the key question that that's always the the key dilemma is that you know is is who who is it who who's who finally stands up and says enough you know because yeah. You have reason to hate us. We have reason to hate you. You've killed people, mm-hmm. uh, people in our family. We've killed people in your family. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But if we keep doing this, yeah. it becomes that old. It becomes that old line of you know an eye for an eye. Yeah. Blinds everybody in the room. Yeah. And if you don't stop at some point, yeah. And you know to use a metaphor, bury the hatchet, not in somebody's skull, but put these things behind you and come to a solution that doesn't involve murder. Mm-hmm. It'll never end, right? And if you and if one and 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 what if one side decides we're not going to do this anymore? Then the other side, you know, just steps they, up. They or essentially the, take know, they, like, they yeah. take the field and they win it, exactly. And and you know, and then you look at you know, can can we honestly? I mean, can we honestly say that terrorism has ever really? accomplished anything you know in the sense well that be has careful it ever because really, yes i can tell you does. that it has it, it, i can tell you right now that it has it, it makes changes we, we, but yes it does definitely make changes it changes I mean, let, let, things, let, let's, but let, let's it, it not necessarily the changes that they're they're going for but it does make changes for instance uh where you you remarked that we're, we're recording on september the 11th yeah. on 9 yeah. 11 i'll tell you right now that the bomb the, the the taking down of the twin towers mm. 2001 it's made this country shoot itself in the face repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. That that action has caused us to harm ourselves mm. way more than that attack mm. did. Mm. And if nothing else, that's an accomplishment that those terrorists mm. can point to and go, mm. yeah, now they're so paranoid they do this. And now they're so mm. fr- afraid they do that. Mm. So, yeah, but yeah, see what you're, it, well, but what you're talking about is an accomplished escalation of bad things. I'm, true. I'm saying, I agree, I agree. has terrorism yeah. ever made one side say, Wow, you know, you they know have what? A we need to stop treating these people badly, yes. so that you know. No, I mean, it doesn't because it unfortunately, made, yeah. once you answer violence or yeah. even just perceive violence mm-hmm. with violence, yeah. the focus yeah. is never again yeah. really on mm-hmm. the problem at hand. Right. The, right. the emphasis is now, the attention is now mm-hmm. upon the fact. That you, that, hey, you hurt are, me. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to hurt you back. Yeah, it's right. never like, oh, look at the things that we did 200 or yeah. a thousand years ago that totally set this fucked up situation in, in, in business. So why don't we go back and let both sides go back and forget that shit and just, just let it rest, let put it to rest and, and, and stop fighting about it. I know. And, and, what, and, yeah. and what, what kills me is it, it takes me back to what, what, what taught me the idiocy of this when I was, when I was, 
pretty damn young, I don't remember, is this hysterical com comedy bit by the stand-up comic Emo Phillips, where he did this bit about two uh, guys who met and were talking religion and were trying to figure out, you know, of what sect yeah. they were. Yeah. And they went through all... He goes through this yeah. whole thing where there's like five or six different things back and forth. And then like... And it's, it's almost this Catholic... Catholic thing where you're going through all the very you know all these various splits and changes in in uh, the the orthodoxy of the religion, and they go through six or seven of them. They're both on the same side, and then they get down to a point where it's this uh, it's this uh, I can't even remember the line, but it's some division between you know wh you know whether you you know I, they, how you do some particular yeah. activity, right. and the the minute one of them disagrees, the other screams heretic, yeah. and, you know, and, it, <laughs> and it's all down here from there, and they're trying to kill each other. Yeah. And it's that kind of thing, and it's that kind of thinking, this kind of um, restrictive, dogmatic bullshit, mm -hmm. that this thing that divides people instead of drawing them together, this thing mm -hmm. that, that is, is way more interested in parsing small, individual, ridiculously pointless differences yeah. between each other these mm. things that in the mm. grand scheme of things don't matter worth a fuck it's as useful to you and me <laughs> as whether or not i like vanilla you like chocolate well fuck you vanilla's better fuck you chocolate's better and <laughs> yeah, you're bringing right. out the knives i'm not saying that people didn't do hideous things because i'm not saying people didn't do hideous things back in the chocolate chip wars or whatever the fuck <laughs> they did right yeah. they fucking did but at some point somebody's yeah. got to stand there and go you know fuck it maybe we just don't eat ice cream anymore we try cookies yeah fuck it all because yeah, if we, i know because well and and it's and it and it what makes this again this this dialogue between these two men so powerful that they don't ever have to come out and spell is, is when he says when they're talking about just the two of them saying that you know when Axter's saying you know regardless of the big you know picture where he's saying like you know we have no choice but do what we're going to do because you think about it what if they decide at that point no we're not going to kill this guy then go what do they what happens when they go back to their 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 Edda commanders and say like yeah. we decided that no we're not going to you know kill him so that's what he means by we have no choice you know he's like we're, we're really trapped he says our gunpowder is lit yeah, we, we yeah. really we really don't yeah. have a choice yeah well they pick up the uh, the explosives and uh, bring it back. It's in plastic form, mm -hmm. and it's kind of neat. Uh, one of the neater little, uh, I have to admit, pointless voiceovers is where they kind of give us a little information about what plastic is. Yeah, and that's another thing that points toward this being a, doc a real docudrama, and that they're attempting to impart information to an audience who, at the time, really probably might not have known why you would use plastic, how it's right. used, even some of the uses it's put to, and that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, not ne not necessary, but you know, informative enough, and it's. A voiceover over watching them prepare the plastic, mm -hmm. bury it under the street, mm -hmm. get things in, pre in preparation. So it's not something that stops the damn mm -hmm. film dead in its tracks like some of the stuff does earlier in the movie. So I didn't mind that. Uh, they point out that it's 50 kilograms, 50 kilos of plastic. Uh, and they, they try to give you an idea of just how much explosive power that is. And they almost undersell it to my, to my way of thinking because that's enough plastic. If you look up, yeah, okay. oh yeah, that stuff. Yeah. They, a little they, bit of it goes a long way. Yes, a lot of it. Yes, that is enough. They say yeah. in the dialogue in mm. this film that that is enough to bring down a small skyscraper. That is true. Fifty kilograms of plastic used yeah. properly on the on the on the yeah. on the on the, on the, the load bearing structure yeah. would bring down a good sized building. That is a shit ton of explosive power they have and they have and they're burying under that street. Now, before we get to the end, I would just like to say that before I watched this movie, I decided to read up on the history. I looked mm -hmm. up and read 
the history of this assassination, just to know the details of it. And um, while I was reading it and finding out the details, I was really kind of glad I did, because reading the history and the, the, the actual mm. facts of the assassination of that day, uh, I'm glad I did, because otherwise what I see in the film... Mm-hmm. When this explosion happens, I don't know that I would believe. Right. I knew. So okay. when when you see what happens in the movie, that's what happened. Mm. They recreate what occurred. And so that is a shit ton of explosives. Yes, it is. That is a yes. lot of power yeah. that they yeah. have carefully constructed in a way to shoot upward through the street. Mm-hmm. Um, like I say, no way to ruin this film... <laughs> They yeah. tell you at the beginning. Yeah. At the end of this movie, you know, we assassinate this guy. This yeah. is the, this is what happened. This yeah. actually occurred. Yeah. You can look up the history. It's right there. Mm-hmm. And um, like I say, I would have thought it was hyperbolic, what I was seeing in the movie. But it yeah. ain't. It's yeah. what actually happened. Mm-hmm. So um, they get everything in place. They're, everything is set. They've got their cover story set up about... You know how they're going to do it. How they've got a, a an electrical wire run out the window to the street, the the fake electrician thing for two of them, so that they can be out on the street when the car goes by and is in the right place. Boom, and then it is just a, a matter of uh, executing the plan, mm-hmm. and that is where the last, I guess, twelve minutes or so, fifteen minutes or so of the film relates the details of mm-hmm. the very pretty suspenseful but maybe a little too stretched out I was gonna say, sequence yeah, of events did the music to you get a little overbearing at times i thought it was a, <laughs> a good little, i mean it's, it's not bad music i mean it's effective no, 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 it's I good like music score. good I like score. score i like the score i like the score um it kind of keeps relentlessly coming on that you know maybe yeah. maybe a little bit less of that might have been might have been okay you know i understand different. what you're talking about but the the thing to me is that um a good film of this type will stretch mm. the suspense to the breaking point mm. and then, boom, your payoff. Yeah. And for the most part, I feel that the end sequence of this film is effective. Mm. But there are moments There are moments in the end sequence where I feel like they're taking... They're, they're, it's going a little too long. Mm. Like it needs to be about a minute mm. shorter. And I know mm. that's... God, I know that sounds like, like the pickiest some bitch whatever was. But honestly, mm-hmm. it yeah. really does feel just a little bit too long. Mm-hmm. And especially because we know what's happening. Yeah. We know what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. If it were a film, if it were a completely fictional film where we really didn't know the ending, it'd be another matter entirely. Uh, some of the details of what's going on, there are things you can't, let's just say there are things you can't foresee. Mm-hmm. And so when someone double parks in front of your car and you need to get that car, car out of that and spot yeah, and, and get on the street. Yeah things become a problem mm-hmm. because you really can't do anything. If you do something to draw attention to yourself, you may fuck it up entirely. Mm-hmm. So that there's some really neat stuff there, yeah. but... Things that seem real, like that could happen just right yeah, in the middle. So it's showing how many different ways along the point this could have gotten so screwed up, you know. Right. Uh, it's... Well, what, how, how do you feel about the end sequence of the film? I mean, because that's that's what the movie has been building to. It's the big suspense piece. It's mm-hmm. the thing that leads up to the final kaboom. What do you think about it? Like I said, I, I thought it. I, I definitely, as I said earlier, the 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 stretching out there of, of scenes didn't bother me near as much as in the first half of the film. You know, because here yeah, I did yeah, feel it yeah. still well, had it's kind of a pur- momentum. It's for a purpose here. Yeah, yeah. was building. You know, I, I I can totally see what you're saying. It still could have been trimmed a little bit, but a little I, bit. but I didn't feel it as much. 
Uh, and I did think that the music, even though, like I said, they may have overused a little bit, it was still an effective score. And it, you well, know, like it, it kind of gives it, it definitely gives a nice importance, ponderance to to what's going on. Like, you know, it, it, I think it helps to build your emotion towards, again, like I said, the trick is to get you invested in something that you already know what's going to happen to, to, to still make it suspenseful as to, you yeah. know, as, as to, to build that tension to when, when is that moment, you know, that this happens. Um, so, so on the whole, I, I thought it was, pre- I thought that that was pretty, pretty well done. You know, I thought that the okay. whole, the whole sequence there was, was pretty good. Okay. Well, and I guess we could say, you know, no surprise, uh, explosion occurs, blows the car sky high, mm-hmm. almost literally. Yeah. And, um, it does blow its sky high. I was under the impression, I mean, I almost thought that it was saying that it blew it over a building. Is that what it's showing you? That's what it almost well, looks to me, is that it blows it over, and I knew that, from the first things I read about the film, I knew that the car was elevated. The explosions were it went, so that it, it blew the car story, up into the air. It shot six stories. Six stories, into the sky, and so yeah. so that's actually yeah, and and uh, you know, so, which so, like I say, if I had not read the actual, yeah, you, facts, you would really, if you, I would have doubted. You would be thinking like, you would be thinking like, wow, that's really. There's, like, I would, I would have thought there's going, absolutely no way right, that happened. Right, right. right. Um, here's the here's the historical layout from. Uh, from, well, of all places, of course, Wikipedia. On 20th December, mm-hmm. a three-man Eta Commando unit disguised as electricians detonated the explosives by a command wire as Blanco's Dodge Dart passed. The blast sent Blanco and his car 20 meters into the air, that's 66 feet, mm-hmm. and over a five-story building. So over, so it definitely says that, so yeah. The car crashed to the ground on the opposite side of a yeah. Jesu- Jesuit college, landing on the second-floor balcony. Blanco survived the blast, but died shortly afterwards. His bodyguard and driver were killed outright. The electricians shouted to stun passersby that there had been a gas explosion and fled in the confusion. Etta claimed responsibility two days later. So, that is what you see in the film. Mm-hmm. It is. It as is. if, like I said, if I had not read the the historical blow by blow, I would have been. You've been like, okay, I would have been there. Like, oh, no, come on, that's too. My yeah, disbelief exactly. would have Yeah, sure, sure. But uh, that's how the film ends, and uh, there you have the docudrama, Death of a President, mm-hmm. Commando Shakia, mm-hmm. um, laying out as factually as they possibly could, four years after the fact, the details of the assassination of the mm-hmm. president of Spain. He had just been named president of Spain a few months before. He was going to be the successor of Franco, and uh, one does wonder if that was uh, well, what uh, Spain would have looked like if they had not killed this man. Mm-hmm. wonder what yeah. the country would have looked like with another man in place afterwards. Mm-hmm. But we will never know. Now, let's judge the film. What do you think of this movie? What What is your assessment? Did you enjoy it or not? Uh, for the most part, I did. Um, and I will say that uh, it um, it's a testament to the parts of the film that are effective in nothing, in, in at least the way they portray these these men and the the terrorist and what they're doing is that I I was disappointed that the film ended exactly where like without you know I, I wanted to know what happened to the man you know now it does say they did all get caught um, the only thing it really tells us about any of them and it doesn't tell us which one it says that one of them did actually end up in a in a, in a bomb car bomb assassination himself yeah which you know um, but so I thought well you know, it, it at least had piqued my interest and got me involved in these characters enough that I that I actually was disappointed that I would I mean I would love to have seen how to have seen how they were caught and what led to them being finding out who they were and what happened 
you know, to right. the individual members. So that's a testament to the fact that you come to know these these guys and, and are at least interested in what happens to them, interested in, in them as people, regardless of what you think of what they're doing. And I do think that that is something that probably goes back to, again, why we get this initial beginning of the film, because the film does not glorify the terrorists at all. It doesn't glorify right. what they're doing. But it definitely treats them as people, and I think it wants you to see them as people because of the way, again, after we get this initial thing with the president, he is not, you know, we know nothing about him from then on. We talked about that already. You know, there's nothing more invested in the character of Blanco after we get this whole intro about him. And so everything else, the whole film, is wrapped up in, in the terrorists, in their lives. And I think the film definitely does a lot of things to try to show them as just, you know, that they're that they're human that they are human beings, regardless of whatever choice they made. I think that I think one of the most effective things in the film is that whole thing um where we're just panning through the the apartment as they're getting just about on the eve of the, the assassination and they're oh, all just they're sleeping and all their different I just thought that was a very effective thing. Just, you know, and one of them has like a guitar case leaning up in his room and they have these personal effects that they're all sleeping on the floor sharing this apartment. Just something like that to again just, you know, Again, not not condoning. I don't think the film condones what they're doing, but I think the fact that that the 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 film shows them in some kind of sympathetic light, you know, right. at least in um, at least if nothing else, is men who are caught up in something bigger than themselves and don't have a way out. Um, I think that probably that probably did cause had the filmmakers had to know, you know, that yeah, we're treading really dangerous ground here. You know, we've got to try and at least appease both sides, or at least make sure everybody knows, you know, right up front, we're not condoning this act and. Yeah. So, um, so I, 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 you know, I, I did like uh, um, the 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 steps it takes to try and make them believable uh, in human characters, but I think ult ultimately I had a, a tough time with because my first question was, you know, did the film accomplish what it set out to be? It's obviously trying to be a matter of fact, blow by blow account of something that happened, and I think it does that well. Other than like I said, there is the problem we talked about, like it, you know, a little too much, you know, too much padding. And some parts of the story and scenes that that just don't go anywhere, um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't like it enough to where I mean, I just don't, I don't see myself watching it again, you know, I don't see myself like yeah, being like, and I don't see myself highly recommending it to somebody. I mean, I think if you're a Nashi completist, then yeah, you'll. I think it's it's a film worth seeing. Of course. But so I ended up giving it a six. That was okay. my that was my ultimate assessment of it. I, I thought about giving it a seven just because I thought, well, I guess it, it it did accomplish pretty well, probably what its original goal was to be. But just on a pure how much I connected with it, I had to kind of give it had to, and just because of some of the story and pacing problems, I did have to to, to ultimately go with a six for that one. And keying off what you just said, I'd have to say I wonder if the film would be more effective to me. If um, I were European, or even if I was, oh sure, there's a whole yeah, yeah. Go into it without not having the yeah. I'm sure that there's a, a that's that's something that we don't get the benefit of is we have no connection I mean, to that that culture and what the what their history how it it hasn't had any effect on right. our culture purposely. That that'll that'll play into to my thoughts as well because it makes me think well just how effective to uh, someone from Spain, Italy, Greece, mm -hmm. Ukraine, wherever. Would all the president's men be? Yeah, yeah. I mean, all, in, yeah, sure. in, in all honesty, I mean, because yeah. there's a lot of it that maybe it's maybe some of it is better filmmaking or slicker filmmaking mm -hmm. by the very least. But mm -hmm. at the same time, yeah, there's an investment for yeah. me to see that story because sure. we all remember what that time we all remember right. what was going on. And yeah. so there's a there's there's that connection, and I wonder if that if that will factor in. But uh, to echo some of your thoughts about the film, um, 
I think it does accomplish what it sets out to do. It is a very, it's an effective docudrama. It mm-hmm. lays out, mm-hmm. um, it tells you what it's going to do, and it does it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it does it with style and panache. Sometimes it does it in a way that I think is very filmic and mm-hmm. stylish and 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 good. And sometimes I think it's clunky. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think it's sloppy. Mm-hmm. And there are times when I think it feels as if. Um, Aspects of the narrative got away from them, mm-hmm. or they tried to, as we talked about with inserting a female character. I think sometimes it almost got away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they needed to think again. Mm-hmm. But um, the the things in the movie that work are solid. The things that push me away, we talked about the uh, unnecessary sequences, mm-hmm. the. Uh, padded nature of some of the sequences where they did they they either needed to choose voiceover or mm-hmm. show us what you're talking right. about not both right not both at the same time because then they're really getting on my nerves right um, it's interesting i and that's my problem with the movie overall and pr- maybe problem is too strong a word i find the film interesting without being particularly <sighs> affecting mm-hmm. i enjoyed watching it I know I'll probably never watch this movie again. It, it doesn't do enough right. for me. There's not a lot there. It's one of those things where once you've seen it, you've seen it. Yeah, sure. And I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad. The The negatives, for me, almost counterbalanced with the positives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the end of the day, um, I came down on a five, dead center. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sure, don't think it's... It. I, I, I can't call it mm-hmm. a bad film. Right. Yeah. As you say, it accomplishes yeah. Yeah. what it sets out to do. It hits yeah. its marks. Yeah. It's just that for me, its marks are not something that really thrilled me. Yeah. Um, some of it is good. Mm. Some of it is stuff that you know has stuck with me the past couple of days. Mm. I'll admit, I've, yeah. I've thought about mm-hmm. this a few times. Mm-hmm. But I do know that overall, it just isn't that memorable for me. Sure. So yeah, that makes um, sense. Fi- final, final statement: not a not a bad film. Mm. But also not a particularly great film, yeah. and therefore one that I think that uh, we and we've said this before about a movie we may be the wrong audience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, n- not bad, yeah. not bad, but uh, it shows it definitely shows a, a, an interesting other side. Some of the stuff that N- that Nashy was doing in the seventies. Yeah. yeah. And uh, on that note, let's uh, let's relate what uh, Senor Nashi had yeah, to say on the film himself. About that. We've got a couple of his comments here. First. Um, he says that uh, he calls it a rigorously historical film. Uh, the events described in the film were shot in the actual locations where they were, where they occurred, and all of the characters are authentic. It had the defect where, out of fear, the film may have been a bit lacking in one sense or another, but in that era, it was inevitable. Mm. So he had that to say about right. it. Right. And then from his biography, he has a little bit more to say about it. He says. Uh, he says, next I undertook two projects which were to bring me serious trouble. I referred to Commando Shakia in a 77 and um, The Sniper. The first of these films, first of these, a film lacking artistic merit, he's talking about our film tonight, mm-hmm. lacking artistic merit, narrated in a realistic fashion the assassination of Carrero Blanco, carried out by the, at a terrorist group. To be sure, nobody nobody but me could have come up with the idea of making a movie about such a touchy subject in the midst of Spain's tense political transition. Now, that line come gives him gives him more credit than the film seems to because he just appears to be an actor in this movie. Right. He's talking, he's almost sounding like it was his 
you know, like he at least was the catalyst behind having this made, whether he had anything creatively to do it. Yeah, or not. I, I don't know if he was or not. Mm. Now the sniper's a different story. Right, but right. He says the atmosphere which surrounded the shoot was one of tremendous nervousness, and we tried to film in secret, although we were beset by all kinds of problems. While we were filming some scenes outside the Admiral's house, the police came along and in no uncertain terms forced us to leave. An anecdote in a lighter vein happened when we were filming in the village of Lieza in Navarre. They were holding the World Log Cutting Championship. I had to act in just as just another Escolari, mm-hmm. the Basque name given to these axe-wielding competitors, while we filmed the scene with hidden cameras. In these days, I was pretty muscular, and I certainly looked the part. My Basque blood came to the fore, and I chopped away at the thick log like a true Ascolari. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When the scene was in the can, it had to be explained that I was really an actor, and fortunately, those spectators who had placed wagers on me took it all in good part. <laughs> this was really the most pleasant thing which happened in us to us amid all the tensions of filming in the Basque country. When we got back to Madrid, our tribulations continued. Once we were filming in a church where Carrero used to worship, a newspaper reporter had the bright idea of hiding himself inside the confessional in order to secretly take photographs of the production. I, I find that amusing. We did not t- talk specifically about the uh, the wood chopping sequence because it's another one. Yeah, of those and scenes. I meant to kind it's of get one. around to it, but I never. I mean, I, just, I completely just, forgot. It's yeah. one of those, but sad to say, it's another one of those scenes that I would point to and go unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see. Yeah, and and I wondered uh, before because I had had forgot to read or forgot what he had said in his book because the time I was saying I was thinking like. Unless this is, I was like, I was wondering, is this an actually bass specific festival ritual or something that's common? In which case, maybe the reason they're showing it is because, because I was thinking, if this is just a general Spanish street life, for, I mean, it's really an unnecessary scene. But no, it's, but, it's but, specifically but, but, bass, And that makes but, it so, yeah, and it's still not that necessary, but it, but at least, yeah, at least at it has something to do. I was wondering if they were just trying to, again show humanize the culture just kind of show something of their you know of, show something of, their, of, of, their, of the Basque their, culture to yeah, a degree yeah, yeah maybe yeah, so yeah. yeah maybe so but at, but, at the same yeah. <laughs> time it's um, it's one of those things that's kind of it, it really is kind of neat to see because yeah. of the documentary style sure. The, the, sure the documentary nature of yeah. seeing this stuff which is something that I yeah. I, I yeah. don't know that I'll ever get to see this kind of thing right ever, yeah know? it was kind of neat insight just in something that happens you know something that right, they, right. they have with their sports it, it, and, it, 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 was, it was fascinating but at the same time it <laughs> needlessly pads the film yeah yeah not that it ain't fun to see, yeah. but okay. More of a DVD extra than a yeah, feature film yeah. supplement. Well, in a film that already had so much of that. I mean, if it, that's, you know, we didn't need any more. You know, if it had been the one instance, I'd been okay. But it, it was just one of many instances of like, okay, you really don't need this, you know. So, really yeah. don't need this. So, all right, you give it a six, I give it a five. Honestly, uh, I, underst- I understand... Mm. Uh, giving it an extra notch because it do, you're right it does accomplish its goal mm-hmm. so alright folks we'll take a quick break uh, come back that that I guess that puts this film to bed we will come back in a few minutes dive into the mailbag and uh, see what we've got to talk about alright it's 1966 the space race is on the cold war is heating up and giant monsters are destroying Japan. Daikaiju Attack, from award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan. Now available in all ebook formats on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive-Through Fiction, and other quality outlets. Find more info at daikaijuattack.com, sdsullivan.com, and the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today.
Hey, kids, what time is it? Why, it's Dan O'Clock, of course. Well, welcome to my second episode. Uh, this is done every month now. And uh, I got a couple of really cool things to share with you this, this month. Um, first thing is, um, I want to announce a contest. Now, all of you have heard my introduction, um, which Rod so uh, affectionately called hair metal. Well, it really isn't hair metal. Um, it's more just straight, full-on heavy metal. But my contest is, if you can guess what song that's from, what band and what, uh, what song it is, then you'll win a DVD. Um, I have a fresh-wrapped, factory-sealed copy of Dr. Gangrene and Penny Dreadful's Dreadful Hollow Green Special. And uh, I'm going to be talking about Dr. Gangrene here um, in a second for my horror host segment. But um, if you can do that, if you can guess which song it is, uh, email me at dfdecker at columbus.rr.com. Again, that's dfdecker, d-f-d-e-c-k-e-r, at columbus.rr.com and if you guess right you win the DVD but now on to my horror host section uh, this is concerning Dr. Gangrene who is a Nashville Tennessee horror host which is Rod and Troy's stomping grounds Dr. Gangrene uh, real name Larry Underwood is a third generation horror host from Nashville uh, the first was uh, Dr. Lucifer uh, after him came Sir Cecil Creep, which I know Dr. Gangrene's a big, big fan of. And now he's the horror host himself. Um, he pretty much does everything out of his backyard. He's got a, an old shed or garage or whatever it is out back. And that's where his studio is, where he does all of his filming and has done all of his filming for the whole uh, run of, of uh, him being Dr. Gangrene. Uh, another great thing about Dr. Gangrene is that he is uh, pretty much an average guy. He's very approachable. He's got absolutely zero ego, um, at least as far as I can tell um, from his work and from uh, talking to him in emails. Pretty much he's, he's very approachable and um, somebody you'd want to go have a beer with and talk horror movies. Um, he's also a big fan of punk rock and um, some hard rock. Um, wasn't really a fan of the heavy metal after it got really heavy, like right around the Metallica, Anthrax era. Pretty much after that, he kind of gave up and stayed with rockabilly, rockabilly and punk rock. Um, but anyway, um, he's just um, he, he's a he's a great guy and a great host. If you're ever in Nashville, look him up. We told everybody last month that I was going to do an unboxing of the Velovision DVDs that Elena had sent me uh, due to my work on SpanishFear.com and Horror Rises from Spain. So here we go. Um, I sent Rod some pictures, so he will probably post those on Facebook and probably also on his blog as well so you can follow along. Uh, the first picture is, of course, Volume 1. It's a picture from Vengeance of the Mummy. 
and uh, you can see here that um, the at the very bottom the ultimate kamikaze or the last kamikaze um, beast and the magic sword vengeance of the mummy and inquisition around volume one next picture is the wraparound you can see on the back it lists all four movies all the information there this is an official television you can see the uh, the seal on the back there and it is PAL and uh, one thing that I would mention here is that even though the Velovision DVDs are phenomenal they're all just in Spanish there's no language age for anybody except if you know Spanish so no subs no English dub it's just in Spanish so that means that all the extras are just in Spanish as well um, to check out the extras and the interviews, probably going to have to wait until we get a fan sub. Uh, until then, we're just kind of looking at Paul Nashie and going, gee, I wish I knew what he said. <laughs> but other than, other than that, um, definitely worth the price for these. For these. They're, they're just, they look like they're brand new. They look like um, they were just released in theaters yesterday. That's how good the prints are. So definitely recommend these highly. Next picture is the actual labels of the four DVDs included in the set. And I actually like the labels better than I do um, the outside wrapper. They're just phenomenal. Um, especially the one for Vengeance of the Mummy. I just love that. Next is Volume 2. And for some reason unknown to me and probably half of the um, civilized world, they put a picture of Volomar Daninsky in the last and worst movie he was ever in called Tomb of the Werewolf. It's not in the set. It was an American-made movie. I have no idea why they used that picture. But you can see here at the bottom that um, a return to Walpurgis and that one is also called Curse of the Devil uh, to us here in English-speaking countries. Um, Panic Beats, Mark of the Werewolf, and uh, El Comandante is also in this set. We have the wraparound there and the labels. Obviously, my favorite of these labels is going to be Panic Beats. Um, this was done by Javier uh, Trujillo, and uh, because of Elena's... Spanish lesson, we can all say together, Javier, Javier Trujillo. Just phenomenal artwork by Javier. It's excellent. So there you go. Those are the two sets of uh, Velvision's DVDs. Uh, big thank you to Elena. You're an angel. You know that. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Last but not least on my things to do list for this month, I want to play you a song by a band called Darkmoor. Darkmoor is a progressive band, and it's also a power metal band. You've heard them probably labeled as both if you're into this, this kind of music. Rad's played Bane of Daninsky, which is an older song. It's a song about Valdemar Daninsky, and it's a great song. Uh, this one also is a very cool song. This song is about Alaric de Marnac, and the lyrics are probably closer to Gilles de Ray than even any of the movies Nashi's done. 
um, gets into the blood and guts of this evil evil man and um, still has a classical tinge to it. Um, most of their songs do since they're progressive. Um, kind of a Mozart type feel to it and also kind of an Iron Maiden feel to it as well. So hope you enjoy the song. This is Alaric DeMarnak.
Excellent. Thank you, Dan. Uh, yeah. Dartmoor is a band that, uh, you know, honestly, I just need to go ahead and buy full albums of uh, because, yes, uh, progressive metal. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a I have a yen for progressive metal every now and then. I do. A yeah, me too. Like me it. too. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, until I mean, I'll be honest. Uh, I'm upfront. Never been the biggest Iron Maiden fan. I kind of admire them from a, from a distance, mm-hmm. but I've never been enough of a. I've never been interested enough in mm-hmm. Iron Maiden to mm-hmm. to get really into them. I admire the subject matter that they tackle all the time, yeah. and there's the occasional song that I really get a kick out of. But I've mm-hmm. never I've never owned a single Iron Maiden album. Uh-huh. I have to admit. I've listened to Iron Maiden albums mm. that other people have owned. Yeah. But uh, Dartmoor does remind me a bit of them. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just that uh, your your musical tastes change a bit as you get older, mm. but now suddenly it's like, you know, maybe mm. I just need to go ahead and pick up a few Dartmoor albums. I tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, I, I like what I've, I like I like what I've heard and I and I do uh, and I do like Iron I do like Iron Maiden and they're but I mean not a huge I mean not not one of my favorite bands or anything, but that's another band that I kinda at their heyday, you know, their peak, I was not uh, all that. Again, I was kind of like you. It's like, well, I'd hear a couple of songs every now and then. It was pretty cool. But uh, in the last few years, I've just every now and then picked up, you know, another one of their CDs and and uh, and, right. and and I enjoy listening to them. Uh, yeah, I never never just listen to them all the time. But there's always those two or three songs per album that yeah, that kind of grab you, you know. And certainly, like you said, you respect their musicianship and their subject matter and you know and they, they certainly have a that's a big, easy to do yeah. big epic feel feel to you know to their stuff and then dark and dark more i can definitely see having that same uh kind of effect there and uh and uh yeah thanks for uh thanks for the background though you know letting everybody know about dr gangrene uh, we've been friends with larry for years uh love what he's doing uh if you if you hadn't had a chance to check out uh, his most recent project where he's going film by film vincent price uh, uh, taking one film at a time chronologically and doing these really great uh, little YouTube videos uh, yep. uh, about the films and they're very good stuff. very well done and uh, with Rod and I have both been in several Dr. Gangrene you know Chiller Cinema <laughs> Chiller Cinema episodes episodes yeah. over the years uh, uh, and uh, yeah we filmed in that little that little shed there uh, sure enough he does a good job of making that little shed seem like a big uh, big dungeon lab you know as all, <laughs> all horror hosts do you know and, and uh, uh, make, you, you work with what you got you work with what you got and so uh, yeah we've had some all night filming sessions there that have been a been a lot of fun so been a lot of years that would be fun that'd be fun to do again mm-hmm. really would. but mm-hmm. um also like to point out remember uh pay attention to dan there if you uh, if you can name the music that he uses as his intro music for uh his segment uh drop him a line and uh, you can get your hands on a free dvd yes the dreadful halloween special and which is well worth your time and yeah. also in perfect timing for the halloween season yep. coming up here in just a few short that's right. weeks that's right Makes me very happy. <laughs> Makes me very happy. Time to dive headlong into watching horror movies, which is just something oh, I don't just, do the rest of the year. Yeah, no, we just shun them. <laughs> we refuse to watch. Refuse to watch anything horror. Well, here, here's what I'm about to. I, I got to tell you this. This is something I should have said at the begin in the beginning of the the podcast, just as kind of a catch up thing. But I, I have been. Uh, I've got my hands on the four Matt Helm films that were made with Dean Martin in the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. There was a little DVD set that was put out a few years ago that apparently now is out of print. Uh, I was able to find it for fifteen bucks used at Sweet. our beloved McKay yeah, here in McKay's, Nashville, yeah. and uh, so I uh, I picked it up mainly because I finally started reading the novels that they're based on, yeah. uh, and uh, I'd already heard that the novels were really were, were serious spy novels, uh, you know, about an American spy mm-hmm. by the name of Matt Helm, and mm-hmm. and all of that and the other. He's a World War II vet. And so I read the I've read the first two now, mm-hmm. and I've decided now I'm going to watch the movies because mm-hmm. I I know I saw all the movies when I was a kid. Yeah. And a few years ago I watched The Wrecking Crew, 
which is uh, based on the second of the novels. First one was called Death of a Citizen. The second one was called Wrecking Crew. Both of them were really good, tight little spy mm. novels. And uh, really enjoyed them very much of their time, 1960 mm-hmm. specific. I mean, they're so specific, it's almost as if <laughs> if they existed a year earlier or perhaps, <laughs> you know, a Tuesday after it quite wouldn't work. You know what I mean? And Total the, time capsule. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> precisely. And, it, and it's really kind of fun for that, if nothing else, but they're, they're also mm-hmm. tightly plotted, well-written, good little spy novels. I know that the films, unfortunately, were a, l- a little jokey, and they apparently got jokier as they mm-hmm. went along. Yeah. So in the next few weeks, I'm going to try to, to work my way through those yeah. four films and see what I think of them. I might, I might try to just briefly blog about them, but... Mm-hmm. Okay, hold on. Now on to got to get it done before the first of October because yeah, then we get into yeah. I don't know if I'm going to manage it. I just don't know that I'm going to be able to 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 push the time forward in that way. But eh, at any rate, let's get let's dive into the mailbag here. Let's start with this one. This is from uh, our buddy Brad, who we haven't heard from in a while. Uh, Brad is uh, well. Does he say that here? Let me mention this. Well, he mentions he does a podcast, so we will make sure we know. Okay, okay. He he says, uh, "Hello, gentlemen." I haven't emailed you guys in quite a while, as I used to email you every week or more. I just wanted to drop you a line and let you know I still love the show. I've been saving the eyeball episode, and I started it today, and I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I brought a, I bought a slew of Godzilla Blu-rays back in early summer, and I thought of Troy. And I recently bought the Planet of the Apes Blu-ray set and thought of Rod. So, <laughs> NashyCast, always in our hearts and in our thoughts. <laughs> That's probably not a great genre film podcast slogan. <laughs> it probably sounds a bit creepy coming from me. Oh, well. Oh, no, I like it. NashyCast, in your heart, in your thoughts. So, no, that's not bad. I actually kind of, kind of think it works. <laughs> How about worming our way into Worming our soul? way into, yeah. <laughs> he says, thanks for all the great shows. From Brad, the guy that co-started a podcast all because of the Nashi Cast, and of course Brad's podcast is uh, <clears throat> "Hello, This Is the Doom Show." Yeah, hello, this is the Doom Show. Which, Check yeah, it out. if yeah, if you haven't if you haven't checked out recent show. episodes, yeah. let's just say it's been very Eurocentric and well mm. worth your time because there's been so. Let's just say they're covering some things that I don't know that we'll ever get around to, but I'm glad somebody's out there covering mm. it. Uh, they did a. Uh, they did a, they did an episode where they started covering they've started covering the Argento Animal Trilogy his first three giallos right uh, they covered Satan's Blood which is a film I wish I'd covered mm-hmm. uh, I love Satan's Blood it's such an insane film uh, but uh, a few months back they did one on uh, In the Folds of the Flesh mm. which is mm. insane <laughs> it's not Nightmare City insane but it's yeah. insane nevertheless uh, so, <laughs> the, uh, a new qualifier is something Nightmare City insane or not that's how we qualify films <laughs> insanity is it you know on the Nightmare City scale how does on the Nightmare it? City scale how yeah. is it? <laughs> oh he's, there's a PS from Brad he says I hadn't I hadn't seen any Godzilla films before the Blu-rays wow I know Troy I know I am I am now a card carrying Godzilla fan good man and I haven't seen any Apes film beyond the first one so I'm excited while you're in for a ride. Yeah, well, it's amazing to think of, you know, just think of someone who, who's just now seeing their first Planet of the Apes and their oh, first Godzilla films. And actually, speaking of a slew of Godzilla Blu-rays this very week, another slew came out. Uh, um, oh, they, they, they already finally, started, yeah. Yes, the, uh, they, they now, with the newest little batch of Blu-rays, they have completed, you can now get all of the 90s Godzilla films and all the 2000 Godzilla films. I'm very excited about uh, that. They finally, after teasing us with it for like three years now, Godzilla vs. Megalon is finally out on Blu-ray. Um, you know, after after it was supposed to come out, like I said, three years ago, and, and, and then all sorts of the good old Toho, I think, legal 
things, legal, you know, gotten, yes. yeah, the legal department, uh, Toho, very protective of its Godzilla franchise That's right. there. So Godzilla 2000 is now out on Blu-ray, as mm. is Godzilla against Mechagodzilla from 2002, Godzilla Mothra and King Ghidra, Giant Monster All Out Attack, mm-hmm. which is one of the ones that I think is possibly one of the best of the Godzilla films. Mm, very, very unusual. Yeah, it takes a different spin. It shows that, yeah, you can do revisionist Godzilla film. As long as you respect the character, you can you can you can do it and, and do something do something well with it. Um, like I said, Godzilla vs. Megalon is also out now. Um, they also put out the three '90s um, Mothra movies, which were made for a younger audience. They are they are kind of geared a little more towards kids, but fun films. They put all three of them conveniently on one uh, very affordable Blu-ray yep. that yep. you can get there. And the the, the new Godzilla film, uh, the American Godzilla film, the Gareth Just Edwards streamed, right, yeah. is actually going to come out in another uh, week or so. so. Oh, is it a week? Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's coming out on the 16th, I believe, something like that. Or right, yeah, cool, next week, cool. I guess, coming out. So probably by the time this yeah. damn podcast is out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so still more. So it's been amazing. This last year has has seen a huge. You know, we kind of went from having just a few Godzilla films on Blu-ray to uh, you know really well over well over half of them. There's still uh, some choice ones that that hopefully will show up over the next year, few years. You know. So uh, well, I got to say, as far as the Planet of the Apes films is concerned, if I had my druthers, I would mm-hmm. probably do a series of podcasts with some willing podcasting partner mm-hmm. where we just covered all of the po- where we covered them all one at a time uh, and uh, even tap danced our way through the, the both the live action and the animated series in the mm-hmm. 70s as well mm-hmm. just for the sheer joy of, of uh, right. discussing those films right. um, there's been so much written on the original Planet of the Apes films I've read I don't know two or three different books myself not to mention endless slews of magazine articles over the years so there's a lot out there to talk about with those movies uh some, no, of it, some of it gets pretty heady and some of it's a little ridiculous but it is still a fascinating series of five films to delve into and especially with the the two recent films which mm-hmm. really kind of rebirths the the entire uh series in a way that's really really effective and nice it's it's fun to to do that i did just uh, do a big blog posting on uh revisiting the burton attempt mm-hmm. at rebooting it mm-hmm. from 2001 right um Let's just say my my uh, memories of it were better than my actuality. Yeah, so, and my memories of it are not all that good. So I would be interested to see what a re, what a revisit yeah. would do for me because I well, was not real. I remember yeah. that you liked it more than me. I, I did, was not I did. real. Not Revis- revisiting it, I don't like it nearly as much. Mm. And as a matter of fact, um, there there are two very strong elements in the Burton film. And I can't believe we're sitting here talking about the Burton film out of all the goddamn Planet of the Apes films. But <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's the ones that hurt the most are the ones you, you, you yeah, know, it's, it, it's what I always call picking at scabs. But um, the score by Danny Elfman is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, phenomenally good. Mm-hmm. And uh, the makeup, the Rick Baker oh, makeups, makeup is amazing. Are, they're incredible. Yeah, quite simply, the best ape makeups. End of story. Period of mm-hmm. any ape mm-hmm. movie that has yeah. ever been. And it's a shame it's it's buried in a film with such a half-hearted, fucked-up yeah. script. But yeah. Yeah. let's uh, let's move on to other yes. subjects. Yes. Next so, next letter, who we got? Yes, we have a another, and this is becoming a very nice uh, kind of regular spot. Almost as almost every episode, we're getting a uh, a new reader, a person writing for the first time, not new reader, new listener who is <laughs> writing to us for the first time, and we are reading there for the first time. Like how I tied all that together to you cover my per- crass mistake. Perfect. All right. So anyway, this is from Adam. And uh, you gotta love his uh, his heading is thanks for making my life a little more awesome. <laughs> really, 
Rod and I don't hear that uh, much. We usually hear the opposite. From I that, really but usually we, we usually hear like thanks only, for fucking my entire I, universe. I, I only hear the opposite. Yes. <laughs> so he says hi, Troy and Rod. I just started listening to the Nashi cast, and I worked my way through the first year of episodes in less than a month. I've never seen a Paul Nashi film prior to this summer, and I only had only heard of him for the first time a couple of years ago. I've loved Horror Express since high school, but except for Horror Express, Tombs of the Blind Dead, and Who Can Kill a Child, I've never seen any Spanish horror movies. And he's actually got one up on me. I still haven't seen Who Can Kill a Child. I intend to someday. Um, he says, So after listening to the first episode of Nashi Cast, I've started watching all the Paul Nashi films you covered in your first dozen episodes, then listening to the podcast. It's been an incredible way to explore the man's body of work. My wife and I both grew up without television, but constantly went to the movies, and we both agree that talking about the movie afterward is one of the great pleasures of movie watching. Sometimes it's even better than the movie itself. Since tonight while I was cooking dinner, I listened to episode 12.5 and enjoyed your breakdown of Paul Nashi movies from least favorite to most favorite. You said you'd love to hear from listeners about what their list looked like. He said, but first for sh shits and giggles, I averaged out both of your rankings for the official Nashi cast rankings. And so his first list is kind of a cool one where he took what you and I did yeah. right to and kind of averaged them out. To make a kind of a master list, and not surprisingly, horror rises from the tomb is at the top, and crimson is at the bottom, which we probably could have, you know, from the first twelve episodes. From the which first was, twelve episodes. Um, and uh, uh, interesting that uh, um, kind of around the middle is Panic Beats and Inquisition, and uh, not the Howling Beast is kind of lower than I would have thought between our two rankings, but uh, he follows it up with his list. He says, "Here's my list," and he's got from top to bottom: uh, Horror Rises from the Tomb, yeah. Night of the Howling Beast, Vengeance of the Mummy. Werewolf Shadow, The Mark of the Wolfman, Inquisition, Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, Howl of the Devil, Panic Beats, Dr. Jekyll vs. the Wolfman, Count Dracula's Great Love, and Crimson. And he goes on to say, he says, Like Rod, I love Republic cereals so much so that I have a Crimson Ghost tattoo. Now, now that's a sign of a real cereal fantasy. He doesn't call it the Misfits. That he calls it the Crimson he Ghost. He knows what it's from. Yes, and he says, and I love Night of the Howling Beast. I also liked Mark of the Wolfman way, way more than you guys. He said, I didn't like Dr. Jekyll versus the Wolfman as much as you. And that's one thing I noticed about his list was interesting, yeah. was that Blue Eyes of the Broken Dawn, Dr. Jekyll and the Wolfman was much lower than our rankings album. Yeah, yeah. And as far as Night of the Howling Beast goes, you know, back when we did the Daninsky ranking episode and we had people just send in their Daninskys, one of the things we noticed was that film kind of emerged as sort of the overall champion in terms of the movie, the film that really seemed to have risen highly into in general fans, you know, viewings. Is that yeah, a, him, him putting Night of the Howling Beast that mm -hmm. high really, like I say, uh, I, I love the film and I'm fascinated by it and it's really kind of a shock to see yeah. it get ranked that high by so many listeners I wonder if it's one of the reasons is because the film is is kind of the most adventure pulpish and also most upbeat as far as you know of all the Daninsky films that is most of the Daninsky films just have that sort of tragic tone to them well it's the only one with a happy ending yeah and it makes me wonder if that's maybe what people kind of gravitate to it is like is like wow he's actually almost almost a hero in this film or you know most of the people that he kills in the film are are, are, are deserving are, yeah so and, and well and, and as he mentions if you're a fan of republic serials or adventure slash action films gravitate you towards, gravitate yeah. toward night of the howling beast yeah. pretty quickly and so he finishes up saying, all right, this email ended up way longer than I intended, but to sum up, I love the Nashi cast and have really enjoyed exploring his films. I'm looking forward to all the episodes I have to look forward to. With all the best, Adam. Thanks, Adam. That's awesome. Thank you, Thank you. Much, Welcome Adam. aboard Let's... and keep in touch with us. Let us know. Uh, if uh, Check back with us, you know, after you get through the other rest of the four years and see if you still like <laughs> us as much. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm, really kind of, I'm really kind of surprised. Uh, uh, did he did he say that he's watching these movies with his wife? Yeah, I, I get, well, now I didn't catch that. And I know he said oh. that 
he and his wife love watching movies and talking about them. Now, yeah. I, he'll have to clarify with us, does his wife watch these with us? Because that, that's so, a very tolerant woman, if so. And, yes, uh, no doubt. I mean, it's, it's the rare woman that's going to sit down and watch a werewolf film, much less a, mm-hmm. a, a Valdemar Doninsky werewolf film. So <laughs> maybe, gotta, the, maybe the Nashi Musk has called her as well. So yeah. Okay, uh, one more thing. It's, uh, this, is, this, this kills me because uh, it's, it seems that now, since I've started including uh, the, the communiques about the various podcasts that I get from uh, my buddy Holger, uh, the, the German what lives in Ireland. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I just picture him as a, as a giant Teutonic leprechaun yeah. at this point. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going to hear about that. Yeah. Bro. You can bet money on that. Well, Holger wrote again, and he wanted to check in. He says, he says, he says another long work-related trip through scenic Ireland, another opportunity to catch up one of your excellent podcasts. Great job, as always. Just one thing. Uh, and he's talking about the Cross of the Devil episode, our last mm-hmm. episode. He says, you were kind of tiptoeing around or speculating on the issue of similarities between Cross of the Devil and the Blind Dead movies. I had always thought this to be a well-known fact, that the Blind Dead movies were indeed based on, or at least inspired by, the works of the Oh, okay. Well, we've been, yeah, well, we brought I, that. I, okay. So I, I, I kind of knew that, and I have to say, I don't, I, if we were, if you perceived us as tiptoeing around, I have to admit that's a failing on our part, because uh, I had meant to, to talk a little bit more about the Blind Dead films in relation to Cross of the Devil, and, and I guess I didn't. And I guess that's just something that kind of slipped my mind. Uh, not really tiptoeing, kind of forgetting. Yeah, because I think I was the one who, because I, yeah, you, because I didn't realize. I think I was the one who had said, like, is is this film, is this film really that influenced by the Blind Dead, or, or is it that the Blind Dead films were as influenced by Becker? Yeah. And now, so I, apparently I knew there that was a, is the case. I knew that's there was a Becker, uh, a Becker uh, 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 lineage back cool. to uh, the the Blind Dead films, and I completely freaking forgot to mention it and bring it up i mean it's one of those things that mm. was lurking in the back of my mind and I obviously just never, never got around never it, it. Yeah, so yeah. okay so yeah he says uh, in actual fact the first couple of times i ever came across his name was in connection with the blind dead uh, that would be back here uh, and only later did i learn that there was also this other lesser known movie cross of the devil that was based on his stories for years it became my mission to unearth a copy for that reason alone and i was delighted when i finally came across one much easier these days I think I am more with Elena when it comes to the overall quality of the flick. I don't hate it as much as she does, but man, is that dull. (laughs) Totally wasted opportunity. The only thing of interest are the few scenes that are reminiscent of the Blind Dead imagery. Other than that, snore. (laughs) I guess it is now just a question of time until you cover Jess Franco's Mansion of the Living Dead. (laughs) (laughs) He says, uh, oh, you can rest assured that the correct pronunciation of creamy is most definitely not the one that sounds like creamy but the one with the short vowels. So it is creamy. 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 Uh, glad to hear I planted a seed, and you are now looking into a podcast on those. Keep up the good work. Yes, Holger, let me address several things here. First, yes, mm. I'll go backwards. Yeah. Um, de- definitely definitely hoping to, uh, before, let's just say before next summer, do uh, at least one podcast on at least one creamy, maybe more. Really enjoy those movies and... Uh, the, the, the thing about a pool that deep is I want to wade in and not jump because mm. I don't want to drown. Yeah, there's a bunch uh, of them. <laughs> there's a bunch of them. And uh, the learning curve for me in this is going to have to be steep because I love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know a little but not a lot. And I don't want to jump in and uh, flail around and kind of uh, look and sound like uh, mm. a total doofus while I'm mm. trying to gain my legs and, and learn how mm. to to uh, talk about these movies in a way that will actually add to the conversation instead of make 
uh, everybody mm. else kind of confused. It may be a good place to start with the one that kind of everybody knows, which is the, was it, I guess, Dead Idols of London or the, the maybe, one that, that, that's kind of like the one, you know, and then kind of... And you're, you're right. That might be a good starting point because it's fairly easy to come by. Mm. It, it, it's been released on DVD, uh, mm. video in various ways over here, mm. and therefore would be fairly easy to come by for other mm. people to, to delve into. And uh, also, it just uh, it's a cracking good little flick. Mm. So, uh, might you might be right there. Uh, also, thank you for uh, helping us out with the pronunciation of creamy. Glad it's not creamy. Very glad. Very uncomfortable uh, saying that. Makes me much more comfortable about talking about the genre. <laughs> yeah, again. right. Uh, and uh, Jess Franco's mansion of the living dead. Uh, you you put a little. I didn't. Mm. I didn't. I didn't mention that he put a little uh, winky emoticon. <laughs> yeah. After mentioning Jess Franco's mansion of the living dead, uh, Holger, uh, I, I have to tell you. Um, we may one day cover that film, and I have to give you the the, uh, the, the information that I actually enjoy that movie. Uh, it's not one of my favorite Jess Franco films, but out of his films made in the 80s, it's better than a whole lot of others. <laughs> and you're right, uh, it is very blind dead in its imagery. Um, if that's one of the reasons I like it. Uh, I like the mood and atmosphere of it. So, yeah, you're probably not wrong. One day I'm probably going to convince the man sitting across from me here uh, to cover Mansion of Living Dead. Um, As for your opinion on Cross of the Devil, hey, I understand. I don't find it nearly as dull as you guys do, uh, or as you and Elena do. Uh, To me, it's not a snore, actually. Kind of, yeah. I, I, I enjoy Cross the Devil. I think it's mm. pretty neat. Yeah, we ranked it pretty high. And uh, I think that uh, it's an interesting companion piece to the to the Blind Dead films. I will say this: overall, I like. I think I probably like most of the Blind Dead movies more than Cross of the Devil. Mm-hmm. But that's because I think there's just something that. Let's just say there's something those films have that Cross mm. the Devil doesn't have, and I think that's by design. Cross of the Devil is a very different type of movie uh, from the script up. I think mm. it's a very different type of movie. Mm. And part of the reason I like the Blind Dead movies a little bit more is they're set in what were contemporary times, and so there's mm. just that, that yeah. little geeky part of myself that yeah. loves seeing films that take place in the mm. 70s. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But thank you once again, Holger, for writing us. As a matter of fact, yeah. thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, everybody. By thanks the way, everybody. By the way, Holger, we are currently auditioning people to read your uh, your uh, comments uh, in future episodes, and we've got it down now. Uh, Udo Kier really wants to do it, and uh, <laughs> but so does Werner Herzog, and I'm not sure. It's hard to decide between those two. So uh, uh, It was disappointing for me to realize that Klaus Kinski was dead. So. I know. I would have loved to hear Klaus, Klaus Kinski read uh, Holger's uh, that would be there, That would so. be wonderful. But <laughs> anyway, um, uh, things guaranteed to make Holger write me back. Yeah. That's what that, that little That's listing that right there probably yeah. should have done. Uh, Holger, thank you once again for writing in. And I don't know if you're at this point aware that any communication with me is destined to find its way onto the podcast if I deem it worthy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so write to us. Yes. Uh, continue to communicate with us uh, via Facebook, via uh, NashyCast at gmail.com or via Rod's Facebook uh, page. Yeah. Yeah. Or Rod's uh, blog, uh, The Bloody Pit of Rod. Oh, yeah. The Bloody Pit of Rod. Actually, if you communicate with that, uh, communicate with me via that uh, venue as well, posting comments over there, trust me, that will probably end up on the podcast as well. 
and uh, I do love I do love hearing from folks. It's it makes it makes yeah. life go by much quicker when I can uh, have a hearty laugh and a ho oh, ho ho aren't these things amusing kind of day. So please, folks, communicate with us in any way. That's what he does wish. when he reads your emails. He's your communications. He says, says ho 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 aren't these things amusing? Uh, That's much his exact quote. much like a drunken Santa Claus. I simply <laughs> stare at the page in wonderment that people would communicate with me at all. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, okay, at this point, people are staring at their mm. iPod and wondering if they're like, uh, "Wrap it up, gentlemen! Wrap it up!" <laughs> it sounds like wrong. we're yeah. Well, so, folks, next month yeah, we are October treat for you. Yeah, we're zigging our way back into a Beyond Nashy episode. It's the October episode, and we are damn determined to cover ourselves a horror movie come and we, October. And we don't have any. We don't have much left in the Nashy verse, unfortunately. Uh, as far as the Nashy was in, and not too many horror films left, so we figured we'd do a. Do a Beyond Nashy here. We have October. a neat little Nashy horror film we're holding off on. Just to give yes. you a heads up, we're holding off on a really fine little Nashy film we're going to do for the official 50th Nashy cast number. So that's a few months off. So uh, start start your guessing games now mm-hmm. for that one. Uh, that's a full-blooded horror film we're going to cover definitely, for Nashy definitely. cast number 50. But next month, we're going to do another Beyond Nashy. It'll be Beyond Nashy number... <laughs> Whatever Rod decides it will be. <laughs> yes, exactly. Maybe it's going to be Beyond Nashy number number infinity. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but next, next month, we're going to cover a horror film. We are going to cover the film directed by a Spanish director. That would be Jorge Grau. Mm-hmm. We're going to cover... Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, a film known by many other titles. Yeah, but I was the, wondering which one you're going to to, to settle on. Well, uh, there's a Let's Sleep Sleeping Corpses, Corpses Lie, yeah. um, a number of other titles. Something we'll get into. Maybe we'll go by episode. what the Blu-ray is called, uh, which is I think is Living Dead. Living Dead at, at Manchester, Manchester Morgue, Morgue yeah, I believe, yeah. is the is the uh, absolutely fantastic film and well worth your time and attention. Uh, if you've never seen it, uh, here's your best way to imagine it. Imagine somebody setting out to remake Night of the Living Dead in the middle 60s in color. Mm-hmm. Yep. But he enlists people who are actually good filmmakers, mm-hmm. not hacks. Mm-hmm. That, my friends, is how you end up with an underground, underground classic mm-hmm. called Living Dead at Manchester Moore. So, mm-hmm. folks, next month, Beyond Nashy. We're going to cover that film. Mm-hmm. Hope you come back. Hope you will watch the film. Trust me, it is something that you will enjoy. So uh, I guess until then, uh, we will talk to you in a month or so. I almost want to come up with a kind of fake name for the length of time that we go between episodes. A uh, smunth. Yeah, it's month. It's month. Yeah. Maybe it's a smunt. Uh, in a smunt from now, we'll cover another film for you folks. So until then. Now for our listeners, it's just known as the agonizing time of no, no, no joy, no hopes. <laughs> No, no bright sunlight into their lives. <laughs> of course. Until the minute they hear our opening there's, music. There's, you know, there's no incessant mm. bad pronunciation babbling about mm. Spanish horror films. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, or Spanish films in general. It's, it's, it's a bleak wasteland of, yeah. of zero audio to tickle mm. your funny bone and to make you feel alive. It's the kind of thing that, honestly, it's, it, must be what, it must be what hell's like. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, hell would be no net. Yeah. <laughs> we apologize for those. We apologize we can't put out, you know, say 10 to 20 episodes a month or even a week, but it's just impossible. Unless we start chopping individual episodes up and calling yeah. them episode 47 point, you know, point one. The next and, 20 minutes, yeah. <laughs> the following 20 minutes brought to you by Eat. No. <laughs> so, folks, until next time, this is Rod Barnett. And I'm Troy Gwynn. 
saying uh, have a good time, folks.